Get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, save, retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Time now for the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Twelve seconds left. Now Perron throws it back in. Jari sets it up. Penguins try to clear it. Knocked down. Another shot at the buzzer. Chopped wide by Shen. And now Perron in front. And that's going to do it as the Penguins that come from behind 5-3 victory, their ninth consecutive victory this season. Come on. Morning, everyone. <laughs> 701, your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. It's Karakran Smallman. It's 101 ESPN and the Blues. You heard John Kelly last night here on 101 ESPN. They lost. They lost to the Penguins. And yes, the Penguins are good. Yes, the Penguins have won nine in a row. Red but I, I expect the Blues, Michelle, good morning, to good win morning. every game. Good morning to you as well, Randy. <laughs> and I'm with you. I was feeling great after the second period, and then the third period happened. Yeah. And the Pittsburgh Penguins, hottest team in the NHL, found a way to win, as they've been doing for now nine in a row. Yeah, the Blues had to go against two teams last night. We'll hear about that in a moment. (laughs) Braden Shen, back for the first time since the first week in December, and after a scoreless first period, the Blues have a power play to start the second. Right wing side, Shen comes in, shoots, and he scores! Shen into the top corner, a power play goal, and the Blues lead 1-0. He's pretty good. He's a pretty important part of this team. Welcome back, Braden Shen. You could see it on his face, too, how, how good he felt after getting yeah, that one. Yeah, absolutely. Another guy who's pretty good. Now Tarasenko for Cairo. Shoots. He scores! Cairo set up on the slot, and he buries it. And the blows late 2 nothing. He's ridiculous. That was his 13th of the year from Tarasenko and Falk. And Jordan Cairo is a dynamo. And how about the series of events leading up to that? Vladimir Tarasenko with mm-hmm. the dish. I mean, those two have been playing so incredibly well together. But, Randy, I just keep thinking as Jordan Cairo continues to be hot and continues to be, or I should say, have his star ascend right before our very eyes, can't you just see Jordan Cairo scoring an unbelievable goal, a goal that we're going to remember forever in St. Louis sports history in a Stanley Cup final? Oh, absolutely. Every time I watch him play, I'm like, that kid is going to have a moment in, in a very important game that we remember forever. Nico Mikola took an interference, a goalie interference penalty. He was pushed into the goalie by DeMoulin, and so the Blues had to kill off a penalty. And they allowed a couple of goals. They were up 3-2 after two. 12-23 mark of the third period, and... Here is one of the great players of all time, Sidney Crosby, with Jordan Biddington between the pipes. Tip near the line, Captain Gensel, that shot, rebound, and they score! And Crosby has tied the game at three. I'm sick of Sidney Crosby and his stupid face. The kid, I know, over it, over it. Goalie interference, though, what'd you think? I would say so, and the Blues did challenge. They thought it was goalie interference. The league said no, and on the ensuing power play... 
And here's a chance from the wing, and the Penguins take the lead on a goal by Rodriguez, and it's 4-3. I didn't even have time to process the call before another goal was in the back of the net. 12 seconds <laughs> is all it took for Pittsburgh to score on the power play. 4-3, McGinn scoring late. 5-3 was the final. Craig Berube, what was your confidence level when you made that challenge to goalie interference? Yeah, for sure. The goalie had the puck, knocked it out of his um, in the crease. Crosby come through the crease, his foot's in the crease, knocked it out of his hand and scored a goal. It's goalie interference. Uh, did you think that was similar to the one at the other end with Mikula? Uh, the, the penalty? The goalie interference against uh, you guys That's earlier. A, uh, Mikula penalty? Yeah. That's a terrible call. Terrible call. That's not goalie interference. That's not a penalty. There you go, coach. Tell us how you really feel. Yeah. And I stand with Craig Bruby on this one. Yeah, I, I do too. Braden Shen, he knows the rules. He understands what the game is all about. What do you think of the goalie interference call? It's one of those plays where uh, coaches make the call, um, what they see in video, and you never really know what you're going to get with those calls when on goalie interference, and, and obviously it didn't go our way. And, um, you know, they went ahead with the draw on the PK the next time and, and uh, you know, got in, the draw, in his own and, and made a good shot. And before we know, we were down, uh, down one. And wound up losing 5-3. Michelle, I don't really have a problem with the call on the challenge because Jordan Bennington's arm was outside the crease. Mm -hmm. I have more of a problem with the call at the other end. The Mikola call? Yeah, if they aren't going to call Sidney Crosby, then there's no way they should call Mikola. Yeah, it just seems like a little bit of inconsistent calls here. Yeah. But... I thought they did a good job on the broadcast with the Crosby call of outlining yeah. exactly what would happen and and why it was going to be a good goal. But you're right that if that's a good goal and that's not a goalie interference, then what are we doing at the other end with Mikola? And you know what? We can complain all we want about the officiating, but Craig Bruby even admits for two-thirds of the game, the Blues weren't great. Well, the first period, um, I didn't think we were very good. thought Binner had a real good first. <clears throat> we just were... You know, we didn't skate, and, um, you know, our puck management wasn't very good. Third period, there was penalties, a lot of penalties. You get out shot 41-29. You wind up in the box a half a dozen different times, seven different times, because uh, you took that unsuccessful challenge penalty, too. Against a team like Pittsburgh, you're going to allow some some goals. Didn't you feel like when Mikula punched Crosby and he had to get the stitches, you're like, oh, he's this is going to come back and hurt yeah, the Blues. It, it's going to wake up totally, a bear here. Yeah. There's no doubt. You knew it was coming. Yeah, he was fired up for the rest of the game, and he took charge. And when you have a great player like that, he's capable of doing that. And I don't think anybody should be surprised if these are the two teams that play for the Stanley Cup in the finals. I would love to see that rematch. Yeah, it would be a lot of fun. It would be to, to have those two cities playing against each other. That would be an interesting series. The superstars, and Malkin wasn't there last night, but when you have Gensel and when you have Crosby and when you have Malkin and you have Chris Letang against a Blues team that's just workmanlike, they don't have any MVPs on this team, they don't have any Art Ross Trophy winners, it'd be the the lunch bucket crew against the Rodeo Drive guys. <laughs> Except they're playing in Pittsburgh. Right, exactly. <laughs> which is the antithesis <laughs> of Rodeo Drive. But they're not a hateable team. You know, when the Blues played the Bruins, the Bruins were easily yeah. hateable. Not only mm -hmm. just because of where they're from, but their players were hateable. Yeah. And, and this 
I don't know. The yeah, Penguins not really hateable. But if you get a seven-game series against them, you'd find some people to hate. Yeah, I would hate Sidney Crosby real quick. You're right. Hey, we're going to talk to the new head coach, the first head coach of St. Louis City SC, Bradley Carnell. Later in the show, he'll be with us at 845. By the way, Greg Amzinger at the bottom of this hour, John Kelly at 815. We're going to talk to David Perron and Adam Rittenberg later as well. Adam Rittenberg talking some college football. But the St. Louis City SC franchise hires their first head coach, a native of Johannesburg, South Africa. He has been in MLS with the New York Red Bull. And I'm intrigued to see what he does. He and Lutz Fonensteel, the director of sport for St. Louis City SC, especially Lutz early on, and he gets the coach that he wanted. They're talking about playing a fun, aggressive style, which I think, even though we are a great soccer town in America, where every single sport does things to enhance scoring, I think you need to be aggressive and you need to have a wide open game. And even though this is a really, really hungry soccer city, St. Louis, and there's a lot of people who are very knowledgeable about the game. There are going to be a lot of people that just want to be a part of this that aren't necessarily locked in on soccer all the time that I think could fall in love with the game and fall in love with the team because of this up-tempo style of play, which I think is really exciting. But I, I think this hire is going to be awesome. I love that he's got the international experience. He's got the player experience, but he's been immersed in MLS and has been an interim manager and knows exactly what needs to be done to win at the MLS level. And I loved his comments too, Randy, about how everything City is doing blew him away and that he can't imagine how hungry the city is for soccer and for this team. And I just think it's going to be a good fit. And clearly Lutz identified him as the guy. He was the first choice, went out and got him. You are a soccer purist. Would you, (laughs) because you played, you you are, you, you, you know the sport a whole lot better than I do. Would you like to see a scenario in which MLS tries to open things up a little bit? Explain. um, Americanize the sport a little bit to change the rules. And I don't know how you do it because I'm not a soccer guy, but open up the sport a little bit so that there is more scoring. No, I think that the way soccer is played right now has a, it's great. I think that fans are increasing all the time. You're seeing that with a lot of MLS viewership numbers going up and I don't think they need to Americanize it at all. I think it's the beautiful game for a reason. And I think that once people who aren't soccer fans go to a a game, go to a match, Mm -hmm. and they're in that environment and they actually give it a chance, they'll like it. You you would hope so. But one of the things the NHL had to do coming out of their lockout, they had the left wing lock. You had the Devils playing with their their neutral zone trap, and you had a ton of 2-1-1-0 games. And they outlawed the trap. They outlawed, outlawed the left wing lock. They outlawed a lot of the holding, and all of a sudden those 2-1 games turned into 4-3 games, 5-3 games like last night. We see that all the time. And that has increased television ratings. It's increased attendance throughout the league. That's why I I, I don't know if, if this... I think the soccer purist, I know the soccer purist is going to be there, but is the average American that likes to sit in his Barco lounger watching a sport, is he going to be into, he or she, going to be into the 2 one one nothing game? Well, it's just like hockey. Even though it might be a low-scoring game, there's action mm. the entire time. It's not like yeah. baseball where you're starting, stopping, let me step out of the box, adjust my, my, right. my gloves, all of this stuff. There's consistent action the entire time. Yeah, so it'll, and we'll talk to uh, Coach about that later on. By the way, I'm going to ask him too if he wants to be referred to as a manager. Coach, manager. Yeah, and if he was in the Premier League, right? He's he's a manager, but in St. Louis, in America, he's a coach. So we're going to find out what he really wants to be. Yeah, until he tells me otherwise, I'm calling him coach. And (laughs) one other thing from yesterday, late last night, Antonio Brown's lawyer sent out a statement to various 
uh, media outlets that cover the NFL, a long statement saying that he was indeed injured and that he's going to have to have surgery on his ankle and that he was told all week that uh, by the team doctors in Tampa that his ankle was not great. There are conflicting reports about this, of course. But he is claiming that the Buccaneers are lying about the severity of his ankle injury, and they tried to put him into a game when he wasn't capable of playing. Antonio Brown said this? Yeah, he did. The same Antonio Brown that just lied about his health status by using a fake fake vaccination That's card? That's the same one. So the same person that just lied for a, a, an extended period of time about their health status now wants me to believe um, their report about their health status? Is this what you're telling me? Yeah, but the NFL wants you to believe their version, too. True. Kind of like they wanted you to believe their version about uh, the Rams doing everything they could to stay in St. Louis. Yeah, but if it comes down to Bruce Arians' word or Antonio Brown's word, when I have evidence right in front of me that you just lied Mm -hmm. to get what you wanted, you just lied about your health status. And we're not even talking about lying about anything else. You just lied about the status of your health to try to deceive your teammates and the NFL. And now, weeks later, you want me to believe what you're trying to tell me? He could be incredibly correct. And if he is, then shame on the Bucks. But I'm just saying, if you cry wolf one too many times, I'm not going to believe you. And Michelle, LaShawn McCoy, who played with the Buccaneers last year, still has some connections there. He went on NFL radio and said that it was his understanding that last week in practice, Antonio Brown not only took every snap at his position, but took multiple snaps at other wide receiver positions and was of the thought process that he was going to get the ball thrown to him multiple times. And when he had only had the ball thrown to him three times, by the time he left the field, he was kind of upset. Don't forget, he caught 10 balls for over 100 yards the week before, and his ankle was fine. And that was after the three weeks that he was out because of the ankle injury. So... To your point, was this a recurrence of the ankle injury or was he upset after a full week of practice that he wasn't getting the ball as much as he expected he was going to get it? That adds up a little more. That version of events yeah. adds up a little more. And I know game speed and the explosiveness of what you need to play in the NFL is completely different than jogging off a field shirtless, but it didn't look like there was any hitch in his giddy up when he was leaving the field. Just saying. It sure didn't. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. We're off and running here on 101 ESPN. Coming up, get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Sick of it. Coming your way on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. I'm over it, Sharon. I can't take this no more. I am done. I am sick of it. Do you hear me? Sick of it. I can't take it anymore. These people are the worst. Carriker and Smallman are sick of it. Hey, we'd like to hear from you. 65780 is our Air Comfort Service text line here at 101 ESPN. Little game of sick of it. And Michelle? Yes. I've got something that I'm really sick of. Tell me. And it was written again at Pro Football Talk when they were writing about Russell Wilson and perhaps leaving Seattle about the fact that he's only won one Super Bowl. And I am so sick of that narrative. Brett Favre only won one Super Bowl. Drew Brees only won one Super Bowl. Aaron Rodgers has only won one Super Bowl. Steve Young won only one Super Bowl. Kurt Warner in Super Bowls 36 and 42 led his team 
down to a tying touchdown and a lead touchdown the last two Super Bowls he was in. And then Tom Brady leads to a game-winning field goal. Ben Roethlisberger with the touchdown pass to San Antonio Holmes. And Kurt Warner's team loses the Super Bowl. I am so tired of the narrative that a guy only won one Super Bowl. It's like people have no idea how hard it is to win a Super Bowl. Dan Marino didn't win a Super Bowl. Jim Kelly didn't win a Super Bowl. Fran Tarkenton didn't win a Super Bowl. I was just going to say Dan Marino would have loved to have won only one Super Bowl. Yeah, right. Exactly. So (laughs) it's... It's really disingenuous to say, well, he, on a 53-man roster, only won one Super Bowl. Unless you're Tom Brady. Heck, you could argue with the the one that the in Peyton Manning's last game, the, the, the way the Broncos won, you could argue that Peyton Manning only won one Super Bowl. And we're talking about Russell Wilson, right? Right. And let's not remember that he should have won a second, but they didn't give Marshawn Lynch the ball. Exactly. It wasn't his fault that they called the pass play. Now, he threw the interception. Great play by Malcolm Butler, but they should have handed the ball to Mar- Marshawn Lynch. And that was not his call. No, exactly. So He was literally inches away from winning yeah, two. Yeah. And I know that that doesn't count in the overall scoreboard of life. However, I don't think that it's an indictment on his legacy or his capabilities that he has not won more than one Super Bowl. Bingo. Aaron Rodgers either. I think most of us would have, during the course of our football fandom, would have loved to have had Aaron Rodgers on our team. Tom Brady is the outlier. He's he is. the anomaly. And that's the problem, is that people, even in the national media, are comparing other guys to Tom Brady. You know what's really unfair is... Tom Brady is the outlier. The Patriots dynasty is the outlier. Nick Saban and Alabama are the mm-hmm. outliers. What Golden State was able to do and is still in some ways doing is an outlier. But everyone expects their team to be at that level. You cannot replicate what is generational success. And I think that we're seeing it so much in college football where these organizations, I call them organizations instead of academic institutions because that's what they are. This is all about football. And they're spending literally hundreds of millions of dollars to try to replicate something that you cannot replicate. You're never going to be Nick Saban. You're never going to be Alabama. Will you get one? Maybe if you're lucky. But you're likely never going to be able to sniff what he's done. And I think it's just an it's r- ridiculous the standard yeah. that a lot of these other teams and coaches and players are held to. If we, uh, there was a logic course one time at Lindenwood that I paid attention in, and it was <laughs> the, it was thank you it was the if then philosophy, and it was if X occurs then Y must be the case. Mm-hmm. If you're going to say that Aaron Rodgers and uh, Russell Wilson and Brett Favre only won one Super Bowl, then you're saying that Joe Flacco and Nick Foles are as good as those guys. <laughs> that is a great way to phrase it. If then. Nick, Nick Foles on the same level. He yeah. won one Super Bowl. <laughs> right. Joe Flacco, throw him up there. <laughs> Unbelievable. You know what I'm sick of, Randy? I'm sick of it being cold and snowy and dark and I don't have any baseball to be the light in my day. I don't have any baseball talk to be the light in our day. This is going to be what I'm sick of until it's done. I am really, really sick of baseball not getting it done, not ending the lockout, and instead using their time and energy to fire good journalists like Ken Rosenthal. It's so Put that time and effort into something productive. Did you read Jeff Passan's piece yesterday? No, I need to. They haven't talked since the lockout started. We're, oh, gosh. We're, we're at oh, January 6th. Me. The lockout started December 1st. And the, the two sides haven't spoken since before December 1st, since what, November 30th is the last time they spoke. 
It's unbelievable. That how stupid is that? It is stupid, but is it unbelievable or is it completely expected? <laughs> Expect yeah, stupidity should be expected from it's the people just, involved. I can't get over how these people are in charge. Well, how are you in charge of running a billion dollar entity yep. and you're acting this dumb? And, and I don't like to call names, but this is no. dumb. And, and Michelle Buster only has told us he said to multiple people, and we saw it with the last CBA. Buster only calls Bill DeWitt the godfather of baseball. He basically is Rob Manfred's boss. How is Mr. And we love Mr. DeWitt. Love him. How, how's he not taking charge here? You know what he needs to do? He just needs to make old Robbie an offer he can't refuse. I think so, yeah. He is an offer you can't refuse. Yeah, a little mafia. I'm, I'm with you. Just yeah. strong arm him a little. So does that make Mo his conciliary? Kind of, yeah. Kind of love that. I mean, when you get. He getting, dresses the part. And when you're getting other people to give you $50 million That's and a great right. player. That's an offer you can't refuse to, isn't it? You think maybe mm. that uh, Dick Momfort wound up with a horse head, or was going to wind up with a horse head in his bed? He's like, here's 50, not only do you get Nolan Arenado, here's 50 million. <laughs> just let's be done with this, please. <laughs> do you want Trevor Story to take? Just take whatever you want. Your tech 65780, Andrew Marsh is here. What do you got for us? Yeah, from the 620, sick of it, inconsistent officiating and what appears to be no accountability. I agree that it's up to the team to roll with the punches in the game, but there have been a few cases cases where inconsistency was so bad that it became a distraction to the team and they couldn't perform through the adversity. And that's the history of hockey. It's really frustrating. Yeah. And thanks for the text from the 620, which is most of Southern Kansas, Michelle. I was wondering where the 620 was from. Yeah. Southern Kansas. Do you Appreciate think they're that. a Jayhawk? Could be. Nothing wrong with that. So, our, our buddy Dave Peacock is a Jayhawker. I have, I'm not a Mizzou yeah. person. I have nothing against Jayhawks. I was just wondering. Yeah, well, Brad Barnes is a Jayhawks fan. You know what's interesting about Jayhawks fans is that most of them didn't go to KU. They just kind of glommed on because of the success of the basketball team. So they're not Kansas people is what you're telling me? Well, they're not University of Kansas people, which, by I the way, you're saying. not a problem. 50%, more than 50% of Alabama football season ticket holders are not grads of the University of Alabama. Interesting. Yeah. They just like to be around greatness yes, and they success. Do. Mm-hmm. I understand that. So this is from the other side of the coin. This texture from the 573. Sick of sick and tired of, of Missouri always wanting to blame the officials. The Chiefs lost on Sunday because they didn't respond to the Bengals. The Blues lost because they let Crosby control the third period. Missouri Tigers lost because all the players and coaches couldn't count to five. <laughs> Cardinals baseball lost because Jack Clark didn't catch the ball, etc. Don't leave the game in the officials' hands. That's everybody who loses. That's not a Missouri thing. The Seattle Seahawks fans still say that they lost their Super Bowl against the Steelers because of bad officiating. How often have we seen bad strike calls of the Braves in 1997 lost to the Marlins because Eric Gregg had a terrible strike zone? Officiating does have a lot to do with winning or losing championships. It does. And why would we want to blame ourselves and our team? It's much easier to blame a third party. Right. Let's channel that frustration to someone else. 1999 Buffalo Sabres Brett Hall scores in, I believe it was double overtime, clearly in the crease, and Sabres fans still to this day are blaming the officiating for them not winning a Stanley Do we need to talk about the officiating in the 2005 National Championship game? I think not. Not at all. And that wasn't a Missouri thing. That was an Illinois thing. And listen, it was those, a Michelle thing, actually. Those kids, didn't have to go to, down. those kids didn't have to go to class either. So, I mean, they had a lot working in their favor. <laughs> hey, that's one of the four pillars, deflect blame at all costs. I go. appreciate that. Yeah. Reminder, Andrew, thank you. Uh, I, I feel like we're, you know, this that texter was blaming Missouri. Let's talk about Chicago. Oh, by the way, let's point out that the uh, 620 is actually a K-State Wildcat alum now living in Metro East. 
thank you very much for listening to us every day. We appreciate it. And we like Bruce Weber. We're, we're, we're big huge, fans of Bruce. Huge fans of Bruce Weber. So yeah. shout out K-State. Yeah. So from the 636, I'm sick of Chicago pizza being called pizza. Call it casserole, and I'll no longer be sick of it. <laughs> I say it's like lasagna deconstructed and put back together. If I have to but eat there it are with no a, noodles. If I have to eat it with a fork, Randy, it's not pizza. You don't have to eat it with a fork. Yes, you do. I yes, don't. Yeah, well, then. I never do. I hope that you're wearing a bib. Well, you, you got to let it sit for one minute. You have to have some patience. Now, I am one of those people. That I, I might have had, and I'm not going to name the restaurant. I used to do a thing at a different radio station where I would have people call in to give give me a, re, a pizza recommendation, and I would take the family every Friday night to a different pizza place. I've only had bad pizza once in my life. Here? Yeah, but anywhere actually. I I'm a pizza. How can you screw up a pizza? I mean, you it's, can trust me. Okay, I, can. I, I I have had one, but whether it's Chicago style, St. Louis style, New York style, I like all pizza. I am not discriminatory. I'm not going to turn down. If, if I have nothing else to eat, I'll eat a deep dish pizza. It's not as if I won't consume it. But it's just not pizza. It's not. It's just a, a B-less version of what you're calling pizza. Well, it, 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 it has pizza dough. It has sauce. It has toppings. So how can you say it's not a pizza? You're just piling it on top of each other and baking it. Yeah, but that's what you do with pizza. <laughs> you know what I like to do, Randy? If I can't hold it in my hand and dip it in ranch, it's not pizza. So you can do that. You can't. You Are you going to put it in your palm and drizzle the ranch on top and then shovel it in I mean, your mouth like a trough? It, it's still a wedge. You can still dip it into ranch if no, you want to. And no. a standard cup of ranch, you're not dipping deep dish pizza in that. No way. Well, no, that's why you have bigger bowls at home. <laughs> I prefer my so, pizza to be cracker with... Hey, pizza sauce the, and Provel. The I mean, square okay. beyond comparison. <laughs> exactly. It's awesome. I will tell you this, though, and Michelle, you'll hate me for this, Okay, is that when we drive up to Chicago, whether we, like, a few years ago, we drove up for the BMW Championship, I drive up for the bike ride, the uh, bike the drive, the, when they open Lakeshore Drive, or just going up for a Cards Cubs weekend, I am almost every single time stop by Giordano's and bring home three frozen Giordano's pizzas to put in the oven. I don't hate you for that. It's your okay. preference. It I is. mean, if you are going to have subpar pizza. That's your choice. <laughs> you live your life, Randy. You do you. Let's do one more. Uh, Pete, from 314, sick of people blaming Jordan Bennington for everything. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. He keeps them in a lot of games. He, he sure does. He made an incredible save last night that will go completely unnoticed because of the amount of goals, quote-unquote, that yes. he let up when, I mean... He, it's incredible that you look at the national news or you go on Twitter and they're like, oh, they hate Jordan Bennington because, you know, he skates out of his crease and yells at somebody. Oh, or maybe wait. he doesn't even yell at him. He just skates next to him and just gets right in their face. Twitter hates someone? Yeah. What? Yeah. Crazy concept. Are you serious? <laughs> I'll take my chances with uh, with Jordan Bennington. From the 314, we are all guessing, dying to know. We'll tell you what we're... If you tell us what you're guessing about, what, what could we be guessing about? It's the people they want to know where the bad pizza was from. Oh, I can't say. I'll just say it's in Maryland Heights at the corner. I'll give you a corner. <laughs> you going to give us uh, the latitude and longitude? Pretty close. <laughs> okay. So it's, it's in Maryland Heights at the corner of uh, McKelvey and... I'm Googling it. McKelvey, oh, I'll get it. I think it's McKelvey and McKelvey, actually. McKelvey and McKelvey. It sounds like a law firm. Yeah, it is. It, it kind of does. You'll. It's near a donut place, so just... Skip the pizza, get the donut? Yeah, exactly. There you go. Hey, Greg Amzinger from MLB Network is going to join us next on 101 ESPN. We're right back. 
to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Okay, if you haven't heard that there's a baseball lockout going on, Greg Amsinger, MLB Network, with us on 101 ESPN on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. And, uh, Greg, i got to ask you a question to start things off because you've been in Jersey for a while. Michelle's family is from Jersey. That's right. We were just having a pizza conversation. Michelle says that Jersey pizza is the best pizza that is in the world. Slash New York. New York, New Jersey. Yeah, New York, New Jersey. Greg? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would throw New York in there. If you throw New York in there, then I agree. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I am very loyal to the St. Louis pizza. Don't get me wrong. Emo's, I mean, oh, my goodness, I love everything about St. Louis pizza. But I got to tell you, the grease, it's the grease of New York City pizza and New Jersey pizza. I don't know what it does to your boiler, but it makes it happy. So, yeah, I would agree with Michelle's assessment on this. I would agree. Greg, it's also because you can fold it in half. It's just a delightful way to eat a slice. You take one, you fold it in it, half. It's just, it makes you smile. It, it, but it's the grease that makes it almost like a handheld cheese soup. <laughs> so it's like falling. It becomes like a liquid goo that is heavenly at the, at the same time. It's hard to explain. I didn't get it. When I first moved to New York City, uh, I'd get a Coke and a slice. You know, you get a can of Coke and a slice of pizza. I didn't know that you would take half of that home for dinner later that night. One slice of pizza. That's how big it is, and it's great. I, I completely agree. No offense to all you St. Louis pizza fans, but New Jersey, New York, that's where pizza lives. Greg, in a couple of weeks, you will have the Baseball Hall of Fame election announcement. Right now, there's a, a website, not Mr. Tibbs on Twitter, that tracks the public ballots. And right now, Ryan Thibodeau has Scott Rowland at 72.3%. So Rowland has a chance this year. If you had a vote, would Scott Rowland be a Hall of Famer? 1,000%. Scott Rowland, to me, is a Hall of Fame baseball player. He's one of the best defensive third baseman, which is a very important position, by the way. There, there are certain positions in Cooperstown that are overlooked, and I don't understand why. Center field matters to me, and that's why I still believe Jim Edmonds is a, is, a, is a Hall of Fame baseball player. I think Kenny Lofton is a Hall of Fame baseball player because of what he did defensively and his role as a leadoff guy. But Scott Rowland playing third base at a level that is Cooperstown bound, and I, I hear all the time, oh, he couldn't stay on the field, couldn't stay on the field. Come out! The guy didn't do steroids. So it's Part of playing baseball, when you're diving all over a diamond to make incredible athletic plays and you're over the age of 30, you can kind of tweak something playing that way. So, yeah, injuries do become part of the equation when you're not injecting your body with illegal substances. So that we want it both ways. We love the fact that Puz Rodriguez caught all the time, 150 games in Arlington when it was 105 degrees with timeout. Pudge Rodriguez probably had a little help to do that. So I, I don't buy the whole Scott Rowland wasn't on the field enough thing. I think he's a Hall of Famer. I think Billy Wagner's a Hall of Famer. I agree. I don't understand. His last year in the big leagues, he was a Hall of Fame caliber closer, and he decided to take it to the house. He was the closer version of what we saw from Mike Messina. Mike Messina wins 20 games in the AL East when everyone's mashing home runs for the Yankees, and he took it to the house, ended his career. So I think Hall of Famers age well, and, and I would vote for, for Billy Wagner. Another guy that would get my vote, because 
when I, I I'm, I'm forecasting here, okay? The Hall of Fame is going to take away cumul, uh, cumulative stats. We're not going to see guys with 300 wins. We're not going to see 3,000 hits is going to be a rarity, okay? These, these cumulative numbers for being a, a great player for a long time are going to go away. So with that said, Andrew Jones is a Hall of Famer. Andrew Jones had a period of time where he played center field better than anyone ever defensively and was mashing at the plate. And while it wasn't 15 years he did it, he did it for a good eight to ten years of being one of the top, if not the best, center fielder in baseball Mm -hmm. next to Ken Griffey Jr. So those are the guys I would vote for, and I would have voted for Jeff Kent five years ago. Yeah, I'm best – offensive second baseman ever. I want to circle back to Roland for one second, Greg, because of that argument that you talked about, which I've heard and I think is ridiculous. From his first full season, 1997, played in 156 games, 160, 112, that was down, 128, 151, 155, 154, 142, and then in 2005 had the collision with Hesop Choi, and even in yeah. after that, played 142 in 2006. So he, he played nine full years in the majors with one season of less than 128 games. He was on the field until he ran into Hesop Choi. Yes, and we have to remember the way he was viewed. I mean, the guy went to Philadelphia to begin his career and was like a, a, a cult icon there. They loved the way he played. The fan bases that he played for, I'm going to take away Cincinnati and stuff he did towards the end of his career, but they couldn't get enough of the guy. They understood. You had, you had to you had to watch this guy play every day to understand his value. And it's like the whole argument. If you're not a hardcore baseball fan and you're, you've got lazy analytical analysis and you go, I don't know about Yadier Molina as a Hall of Famer. <laughs> you're just you're lazy. You're an ignorant baseball fan, in my opinion. If you actually watch baseball, you know Yadier Molina is a Hall of Famer. I think people that watched and the rabid fan bases that loved Scott Rowland watched – what he did every day, all know that he's a Hall of Fame baseball player. And his teammates would tell you, which unfortunately baseball players are biased and we don't want to hear their two cents. Pitchers that face Scott Rowland, uh, batters that hit the ball towards Scott Rowland, knew they were facing a Cooperstown talent. That's, to me, the ultimate feather in his cap. I think the guy needs to be in the Hall of Fame. And he's trending in that direction. Greg, David Ortiz right now with the public bout sitting at 82.5%. Things are looking good for him. And as as far as the air quotes steroids, guys, obviously he has the least amount of baggage of any of them. He only um, in that survey said that he tested positive but not officially. But do you think if Ortiz gets in that it might start to shift the way we view the guys who we know use steroids as far as the Hall of Fame is concerned? No, I, I don't. I think David Ortiz is a very unique case of – of transcending sports. Now, I know Alex Rodriguez did the same thing and became a bigger celebrity than just what he's known for in baseball. But David Ortiz was the mouthpiece of one of the iconic franchises uh, in the sport. Derek Jeter was the leader, the face of the New York Yankees, but there was no one else. People would point to Dustin Pedroia. I'm sorry, but when the Boston Marathon bombing happened and, and, and David Ortiz grabbed the microphone and said, this is our city, uh, he spoke for the Boston Red Sox nation. He was the face of an iconic franchise and beloved. 
while there were, I think, a New York Times article connecting him to it, uh, PEDs, you know, and, and obviously it's fishy the way his career started with the Minnesota Twins. Then it eventually takes off because of his relationship with Pedro Martinez getting into Boston. Uh, you, you can't overlook the way he was loved, the way there really there, there were no scandals. I mean, the shooting that happened to him happened after he was done as as a player. Um, He's been a broadcaster. He's beloved. Everyone loves him. And he had famous moments. He had iconic, come-from-behind clutch moments. It's still the Hall of Fame. He never brought his organization down. He did have moments where he stunk. Let's, let, let's not overlook the fact that this wasn't Barry Bonds, where he had an uh, on-base percentage of 480 or higher for 15 straight years. Terry Francona had to move him down to the seventh spot once, and, and that was a big deal. So he did have his ebbs and flows where he struggled and faced adversity. I don't think he gets in. Uh, the, the public ballot is always higher than what we actually see on the day of the announcement. I think he's going to just miss 75%. And uh, he'll eventually get in. But I think there are writers that are going to keep him off their ballot because of the speculation. So they don't want him to be first ballot because of that. But I believe next year David Ortiz gets in. Okay, you're going to head to Florida on Sunday, right? And you're going to play some golf with Dan Plesak? That's right. Yes, yes. 36 holes a day. And how do you do at the end of a 36-hole day? You go have dinner. Are you gassed? Are you worn out? Are you ready to go all night, too? You know what? Um when you play golf with Dan Plesak, you're amazed that he lives in his own world. So at dinner, I really don't talk. I listen hole by hole, him recap both of his rounds of golf and how he should have shot a 63 instead of a 78. You would think this guy shoots a 108 when he shoots a 78. So I just sit back and I'm fully entertained. I don't have to do anything. Dan Plesak talks the whole night. It's wonderful. <laughs> and finally, you uh, you told Andrew that you watched the Blues game last night. A disappointing finish, but what are you thinking of our Blues? Uh, I, I love the way this team plays. Uh, they throw their bodies around uh, with reckless abandon. I just knew, I don't know if you thought the same thing, when Sidney Crosby's nose started gushing blood, the hockey gods were going to frown upon us. I, I once I saw blood falling off this guy's face in Pittsburgh. I'm like, we're losing this game. This game is over. And then, of course, he ties the game and has the great pass. And they, I mean, it's just, I, I believe in this stuff, man. When you mess with the sport gods, they come back to bite you. And when you bust the Hall of Famer's nose like that, the game was over at that moment. That's my my, my two cents. Yeah, it was, you're right. You don't want to fire up a, a guy like that. You don't want. Back in the day, you didn't want to fire up Albert Pujols. We we saw it, and uh, Crosby got fired up last night. Hey, <laughs> yeah, he did. Have have a great trip and uh, enjoy it. I will. Uh, I'll text you because I want to know how you're hitting it down there and how Plesak's hitting it All too. Right. And next week, don't, don't worry, don't worry. Just go to at Plesak nineteen. His, his Twitter feed will tell you everything about how he's hit. You don't have to ask him. Okay. We'll do it, brother. Have a great time. Thanks for your time this morning, and uh, enjoy your day in Jersey. All right. See you guys. Take care. See you, man. Uh, Greg Amzinger, MLB Network on 101 ESPN. I know that Greg's probably bummed that we're locked out of baseball, but at least he gets to go play a lot of golf. He's got stuff going on. You know, yeah, I think he's okay. Not a bad consolation prize, no. playing golf with Dan Plesak. 
That's pretty fun. <laughs> and on the 25th, you'll be able to watch the Hall of Fame elections, who gets elected this year to the Hall of Fame. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Andrew is here as well. We want your text to the Air Comfort Service text line 65780 because take it or leave it is coming your way on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Take it or leave it. Give us your feedback now by texting 65780. It's Take It or Leave It with Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Powered by Gloria Lou Realty. Visit GloriaHasTheBuyers.com and start packing. Our text line, 65780. It's Michelle, Randy, and Andrew. It's Character and Smallman. We've got Take It or Leave It coming up in a moment. Andrew Marsh just yawned. Are you tired? Are you? <laughs> did you have a late night or something? I'm just tired of this, this officiating in the NHL. Like, it just it just wears me out, Randy. I'm, getting I'm, all angry at night and... Can't sleep. Yeah. I, just, I can't sleep. I'm down with that. I totally agree. And by the way, if you are aware of it, Andrew used to be the engineer for blues hockey here in studio and like us spent his entire life doing nighttime sports stuff right and it's hard to make that adjustment to go from spending your life watching games until 11 12 at night and then having a getting up at five in the morning or whatever right how long have i been doing this since what mid-november yeah Yeah. i don't think i've gotten used to it though yeah i don't i don't i'll ever get used to it i was told once you never do yeah, you'll never get used to staying up and watching a game and then several hours later hearing your alarm go off. Yeah. Mm. It's just you learn to function on less sleep. That's right. That's what we've done. Michelle, Which it I'm was. I'm sure it's healthy. Yeah. <laughs> Not sure. It was on this date in 1994 that this happened. Why? Why? <laughs> so as it turned out, a beefy fellow by the name of Sean Eckhart grabbed an iron pipe and whacked, hopeful, gold medalist uh, figure skater Nancy Kerrigan in the knee, 1994. And she wound up participating in the Olympics. And there was a great story about Tanya Harding and Jeff Galuli and and Eckhart and all the things that went into it. Take it or leave it. Looking back now, since nobody got seriously hurt, it's kind of funny. I'm going to leave that, Randy. I'm going to leave old Galuli and co whacking someone with a pipe to crush their Olympic dream. this reaction was priceless. This this is why we have sports. This is because Sean Eckhart was able to elicit, uh, well, let's get this reaction again from Nancy Kerrigan. It was... Why? Why? (laughs) I gotta tell you, Randy, if I dedicated my entire life to the Olympics and I was right on the precipice of competing for gold and I was likely going to win and a beefy fella came up to me and hit me in the knee with a pipe, you better believe I'm screaming why. Now listen, oh, that's yeah. going to be laced with some swear words that we can't say because this is a family program <laughs> and I'm Italian, but I would definitely be confused and being like, what is going on? Why are you hitting me with the pipe? What did I do to have someone attack me in this way? I'd be screaming why too. And honestly, now that I'm a little bit more uh, seasoned in my life, listening to her scream why, I hear the agony in her voice. I, I think it's sad instead of funny. Why? I think that part's As it turns out, when, when you get to know the characters, though, the, the Eckharts and the Galulis and why we got to why, kind of funny. I, Tanya, good movie. Shout out Marco Robbie. Oh, and shout out Allison Janney. Allison Janney, unbelievable in that movie. Great villain. Yes. And 100% of the time, shout out Margot Robbie. 100% of the time. <laughs>
Just saying. Great actress. Randy, oh. Randy, Randy. Andrew's not disagreeing. Okay. I'm, not, I'm absolutely All not. right, I have one for you, Randy, that I think you're really going to enjoy. Now, the first part of it, you're not, but the second part, definitely. So as you know, COVID-19 ravaging our country yet again, so many people testing positive, which means a lot of restrictions are getting put in place in certain places in our country, especially big cities like L.A. There's a lot of COVID restrictions happening in L.A. right now, and the NFL is exploring contingency plans because of these COVID-19 restrictions in the Los Angeles area, they're thinking they might be too severe to host the Super Bowl. And guess where they're looking? Dallas. <laughs> AT&T Stadium. Take it or leave it. Jerry Jones is just playing Stan Kroenke one final time. I'll take that 100%. Yeah. So I got it. you to build the stadium. I promised you a Super Bowl. Hey, guess what? Why don't we just move all that revenue right on down yeah. to Dallas because of the COVID-19 restrictions? Yeah. Sorry, Enos. I'd like to give you the Super Bowl, but I can't because of COVID. So I'm just going to have it at AT&T Stadium. Is that my fault the government has these restrictions? <laughs> But I have a beautiful, huge stadium that could host the Super Bowl. I I, I have to admit, I uh, I did chuckle a little bit when I read that. <laughs> They're proactively looking into this. Yeah. And as we get deeper into the winter, I don't expect those restrictions to lessen. I don't either. It's pretty funny. Pretty funny. How mad do you think Stan Kroenke is right oh, now? I, I, he just wrote a $790 million check. He's getting ready to show off the, the crown jewel that he built to the NFL, host a Super Bowl, and weeks, literally weeks before it's supposed to happen, they're considering moving it to Dallas. Love it. <laughs> Texas forever, six. <laughs> Andrew, uh, what do you got for us on the text line, 65780? All right, take it or leave it. That was a terrible challenge against the Penguins, but they did it for Benner. I'm going to leave that. I I could see how you could see that as goalie interference. When a player runs into the goalie and causes the goalie to not be able to make the save, in theory, with the goalie's skates in the crease and one of the skaters, the, the skater who's causing the problem with one of his skates in the crease, I could absolutely see how you could have called that goalie interference. Absolutely. I thought it definitely warranted another look. Yeah. Now, I do agree with the call in the end, but I, I would have challenged it as well. From the 618, take it or leave it. If the Illini continue to make threes and Kofi dominating in the middle, the Illini season will be a disappointment unless at least an Elite Eight run. So it's a. <laughs> I'm going to refrain from this because even if they got to the Elite Eight, I might consider it a disappointment, but we're not getting too high or too low this season. Really, if they just advance past the point they did last year, I think it, you might be happy, but this Shall is a team that... be the second round. This is a team that could do some damage, but like I said, I'm not going to go there again. Steve Spagnolo, I'm not going to go going there. Yet. You're not going to get me upset this morning. We're happy, we're laughing, we're playing the Nancy Kerrigan. Why? Why? Do you think if, if Illinois made it to the Elite Eight and that was the end of it, that it would be a disappointment for this team? They're if, capable if they, of going further. If they make it to the Elite Eight with this talent and don't make it to the Final Four, that game, that season won't be a disappointment. But it'll be, whoever they play, if they lose a, a, a game in the Elite Eight, it'll be a disappointment because we will expect them to win. Of course, you're right, regardless of the opponent. Yeah, so the season can be a success, but you can be disappointed by losing at the end. I wonder if in my lifetime no. I'll get to see Illinois win a national championship. If, if, like, they, if they make the Final Four, I don't know where it is, but we're getting you there this year if they make the Final last Four. Last year was supposed to be an Indy. Yeah. Uh, despite everything that was going on, I had friends that were going to go. We were going to meet there. It was going to be great. 
Oh, <laughs> Michelle in New Orleans. Turning oh. you loose in New Orleans with Illinois for the Final Four. Holy cow. I, yeah, it'd we'll be like, you we might had, as well just take that whole week off. You aren't coming back on Wednesday. It would be like me in a time machine, buddy. I'd be 19 again, <laughs> or 21 again, because I'd be drinking. All right. Thank you, Andrew. Thanks for your text. We do appreciate it. We've got an early edition of the fight. A lot of interviews coming up. John Kelly and then... Uh, Bradley Carnell, the new uh, and first head coach of St. Louis City SC. So the fight coming your way next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Welcome to the fight on Character and Smallman. In the red corner, average Joe Listener. And in the blue corner, Undisputed King of Morning Drive, please welcome Randy Carricker. It's Carricker and Smallman on 101 ESPN, an early edition of The Fight today because we have a lot of guests coming up. John Kelly is going to join us at 8.15 and then our new Head coach for St. Louis City SC, Bradley Carnell, is going to join us at 8.30. So you don't want to miss that. But Dylan was kind enough to join us for an early fight. Good morning, Dylan. How are you? Good morning, Michelle. How are you all doing today? We're doing wonderful, thanks. How's your Thursday? Oh, it's going all right. A little cold this morning. I know. What is that about? Woke up this morning, freezing cold, snow on the ground, over it. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm ready for summer already. Bring it on. I know. Hopefully we get some baseball soon, too. That'd be nice. All right, Dylan. Yes, uh, oh, sorry. You know, I should do it the Danny Mac. What do you do for a living? Oh, I'm a, I'm a mechanic for a, a utility company. Oh, very cool. Water company. Yeah. Love that. All right, Dylan. Well, let's jump right in here because we're running a little bit late with question number one. Good luck. What former Blues goalie prospect did Jordan Bennington fight while with the Providence Bruins in the AHL? Was it Evan Fitzpatrick, Phoenix Copley, or Luke Opilka? Um, let's go with Phoenix. All right, question number two. Not single season. This is the team average out of all the teams Scott Rowland played for. He had his best batting average of 288 with what team? Again, not single season, but his team average. Was it the Reds, the Blue Jays, or the Cardinals? Um, let's go with the Reds. I feel like the Cardinals would be too obvious. Probably Quite- overthinking it. <laughs> Question number three for Dylan. Other than Alabama and LSU, what school was the most recent SEC team to win the national championship in football? Is it Auburn, Florida, or Georgia? Uh, Georgia. Last question, Dylan. What MLB speedster set a record for stealing 50 consecutive bases without being caught? Was it Vince Coleman, Lou Brock, or Ricky Henderson? Uh, let's go Vince Coleman. All right. Checking our score. Confirmed. Waving in Randy. I don't think he sees me. Hang on one second. He's got me. I think he's looking at pictures. Oh, he just walked down the hall. There he is. He's coming in now. <laughs> I fell off my chair trying to get his attention. Randy, I don't know if you just saw that, but I fell off my chair trying to get your attention. It's dark in the hallway, so I couldn't really see you. So I was, uh, we have a new show down the hallway. Yes. Tim McKernan and Doug Vaughn and the gang. And so I was uh, talking to those guys in the hallway about 
What a great building we're in. Well, don't let them distract you, Randy. We need your focus right here. Okay, hold on here one second. Oh, Randy forgot his machine this morning. He's plugging it in just it's in confidence. case he beats our fighter today, which, Randy, as you get that set up, uh-huh, say yes. good morning to Dylan. Dylan, good morning. Great to have you with us. Thanks for listening. Thanks for playing. How you doing? I'm doing good, Randy. How are you doing? Thanks for having me on. Uh, we're, we're thrilled to have you on, and uh, we can still say it because we're still within that week threshold. Happy New Year. Yeah, Happy New Year to you guys. And I'm a big fan of the show and big fan of the radio station. I'm happy to be on. We appreciate that very much. Yeah, thanks for listening, Dylan. That's awesome. All right, Randy, here you go. Question number one. What former Blues goalie prospect did Jordan Bennington fight while with the Providence Bruins in the AHL? I know who this was, but I don't know. You know, it's it's that kind of thing. You know what you don't know? It's pretty much me every day. Okay, I've got a name in my head, and if I hear it, I'm going to say yes. Go ahead. Evan Fitzpatrick, Phoenix Copley, Luke Opilka. Phoenix Copley. All right, Randy, this is single. Se- this is not single season. This is a team average. Out of all the teams Scott Rowland played for, he had his best batting average of 288 with what team? Again, not single season, but team average. Team batting average. He was pretty good with the Cardinals. It's hard for me to imagine that he was below 288 here. Early on, because I was literally just looking at his numbers, uh, he had like a 262 with the Phillies. He was hurt with the Blue Jays. With the Reds, he had a nice bounce back, and that could have been 288 also. But I, uh, unless that last year here, 07, where he hit in the 230s, dragged him down, is that going to trick me? I'll, I'll go with the Cardinals. Other than Alabama and LSU, what school was the most recent SEC team to win the national championship in football? Okay, well, you had Florida, but let's see. Alabama, LSU. Georgia hasn't won since 82. Florida, nobody else from our division. Oh, Auburn uh, with uh, Gus Malzahn, right? That would have been the... um, the not, not the Cam Newton one, but the one where Greg Robinson and all the all the guys that Les Snead loved, Trey Mason. That, that loved group. those guys. Yeah, they were Jeff great. Fisher loved them too. Yeah. Oh yeah, he he loved his guys. Yeah. All right, Randy. What MLB speedster set a record for stealing fifty consecutive bases without being caught? I think I was there when Vince Coleman stole his fiftieth in a row. I think. I'll go with Vince Coleman. Yeah, he did it. All right. Close fight today. One person got three correct. One person got two correct. Which person got three? Was it Dylan or Randy? Andrew, ring that bell. The winner and still champion of the fight, Randy Carricker. Brought to you by Optical Expressions. Providing St. Louis with top quality eye care and eyewear since 1997. Just win, baby. Dylan, oh, so close. He just beat you by one. You were so close. That was a close, that was a close one. Good fight, Randy. Good game. Dylan, thank you very much, and a good job by you, too. Thank you. Thank you very much. Sportsman My first time. I was nervous. Uh, don't be nervous, Dylan. We'll have you back, and you'll take Randy down the next time. But thanks for listening. Right. Thanks for playing. Have an awesome rest of your day. Thank you, guys. You, too. Okay, so the former Blues goalie prospect that Jordan Bennington fought while with the Providence Bruins in the AHL is Phoenix Copley. An old Phoenix. He was acquired in the Kevin Shattenkirk deal to Washington.
uh, out of all the teams Scott Rowland played for, he had his best batting average of 288 with the Blue Jays. It was Toronto. Those other hmm. birds up north. Yeah, that's right. Other than Alabama and LSU, Auburn is the re- most recent SEC team to win the national championship in football. And the MLB speedster, love calling someone a speedster. Mm-hmm. We need to do that more often. The MLB speedster that set a record for stealing 50 consecutive bases without being caught was, in fact, Vince Coleman. All I do is win, 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 no matter what. All right. Thanks for joining us on the fight. You're undefeated this week. Great start to the new year for you, Randy. Feeling good about it. John Kelly called the game last night here on 101 ESPN. The Blues loss in Pittsburgh, and he'll be with us next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. This is Carriker and Smallman. We're talking everything St. Louis Blues as we head into the Blues booth. Brought to you by Boardwalk Hardwood Floors. Great floors for every home with locations in Crestwood, Manchester, Overland, and St. Peter's. And online at BoardwalkHardwood.com. The Blues were in Pittsburgh last night, flew home, and John Kelly did the game here on 101 ESPN. And he's kind enough kind enough to get up early and talk to us about the Blues here on 101 ESPN. Michelle Smallman, Randy Carricker, and to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. JK, good morning. How are you doing? I'm doing fine, Randy. How are you? Doing well. And uh, we've had several people text in, and we were talking about how that game kind of changed when Nico Mikola mixed it up with Sidney Crosby. You, you you wake up Sidney Crosby, and you're waking up a giant. Yeah, and, uh, you know, Joey Vitale, who, of course, played with Sidney Crosby, you know, he was spot on um, with his analysis when it happened and even later in the game is is, you know, teams that – see Crosby a lot teams in his division and players they they don't like to engage him like that because it fires him up and you know even a, a nor, quote-unquote normal Sidney Crosby is a real good player but when you have an angry and motivated Sidney Crosby uh, then you have a different animal and he he almost willed that team to victory last night but you know what's Mikola supposed to do you know he's defending his net he's defending against one of the top players in the NHL and, you know, they were hacking and whacking at each other, and he was protecting himself. So, you know, you want your players to be aggressive against top players, and that's what Mikola was. You know, probably what, where he went a little bit too far was the punch to the face where he perhaps cut him on the nose. I don't know. But, you know, I like aggressiveness with defensemen, and, you know, I think Mikola was just trying to do his job. That moment changed the momentum of the game, as did the goalie interference challenge that happened in the third period. Did you think that that was the right call, John? Well, I think it was the wrong call because, you know, obviously, the, you know, the referee's explanation, you know, that, that Crosby was not in the goal crease and, and, you know, the puck really was above the plane of the goal line, outside the goal line. But to me, uh, there are two key things here. Number one, Bennington's skates were in the goal crease and he was trying to do his job. And regardless of whether his, you know, glove reached outside the plane of the goal line, I think that's irrelevant. I mean, to me, the goaltender has got to be able to play his position. And he was in the goal crease. He was trying to catch a puck. And Crosby, a split second before he caught the puck, he touched his glove. And he couldn't catch the puck. So, to me, it's it's interference. And, you know, I, I like the challenge. Um, obviously, the Blues lost the challenge. Um, and, and we know what happened. They scored the winning goal 12 seconds later. But, to me, the bottom line is if, if the goaltender can't move and, and – make his normal movements to, you know, stop the puck, 
and that's what was the case last night. You know, I don't, I don't know what goaltender interference was. And again, Bennington was in his goal crease last night. And John, I love the idea of the challenge in hockey. But I do think that coaches should be allotted one or two like they have in the NFL, and then you lose. And maybe then if you get one, you keep it. I know they want their games to be shortened. My point is I don't think that there should be, for your first challenge, a two-minute penalty if you, if you don't get it right. Yeah, I, I think there's some validity to that, Randy, and I don't think it's really about keeping the game short. I mean, you know, the average length of a game in the NHL is two and a half hours. That's, right. That, that's pretty quick. But I think what happened was is coaches were taking advantage of the challenge to basically buy a timeout. And so they are the ones, the coaches are the ones that really um, spurred on the league to make that change because there were a lot of challenges where the coach really had no chance to win. And they did it to basically buy a timeout. So that's why they made the change. But Randy, I, I, I don't disagree with you. Um, that's to me is a harsh penalty when even Mike Sullivan I read his quotes after the game, the Penguin coach, and he even said it's hard on coaches. You know, you have about 30, 45 seconds to make a decision, and there's really not a hard and fast rule when it comes to goalie interference, as we saw last night. You know, there are a lot of times, including last night, where it could go either way. And Mike Sullivan admitted that it's hard on coaches. So, you know, in those situations, maybe they should give the – the coaches one challenge uh, before getting penalized. I, I don't think it's a bad idea. John, we haven't talked to you since the Winter Classic, the Blues defeating Minnesota 6-4 to four in that one. It was the coldest game in NHL history, but I guess the cold never bothered the Blues anyway because it was a great game out of them. What did you think of their performance in the Winter Classic? It was outstanding. And, you know, they, they were great in the first period, really should have been up, you know, by two or three goals. I thought O'Reilly's line really set the tone in the first period and, and was fantastic. And in the second period, obviously the line of Thomas and Tarasenko and Cairo really took center stage and dominated that game. So, yeah, they played great. And, you know, they, they wore those beach attire um, <laughs> uniforms or whatever you want to call it into the stadium. And I, I think it was Tori Krug that said, if you're going to wear that, um, you better win the game. Because it was a very confident statement walking into Target Field in beach attire and you know i i like it i like confident athletes and and they showed a lot of confidence and they backed it up which is great the blues have been a great home team now they have five in a row at home against some really good teams washington then dallas comes in should be able to handle seattle but then toronto and nashville to wrap up the five-game homestand this to me seems to be a key slice of the season for the blues yeah randy but you could probably say that you know every two weeks right because it's such a competitive division i mean who would have thought right now, uh, you know, on January 6th that Nashville would be leading the Central Division? Yeah, right. I mean, to me, they're one of the surprise teams. And, you know, they're a better team um, than they have been the last couple of years. And we know Colorado is, is, is coming on. And they haven't, have, they haven't played enough games right now. But they're obviously an elite team. I don't need to say that. And, you know, you have Minnesota. And, and Winnipeg is a team that obviously made a coaching change now with Dave Lowry. They're playing better hockey. It's going to be a dogfight, and you can't count out Dallas, a team that went to the final a couple of years ago. So I think every, you know, every segment, however you want to break it down, you know, two weeks or ten games, whatever, you have got to be above 500 basically in, in every segment. And, you know, say the next ten games. You know, at minimum, you need to be six and four. If you're not, you're going to lose pace with the pack. So that's the bottom line in this division this year. 
John Jordan Cairo had an hi- historic performance in the Winter Classic. He was the NHL's first star of the week. He lights the lamp again last night. I think I'm running out of things to say about him. It's almost as if I expect to see something exciting and electric from him every single game now. Yeah, but you're right, Michelle. He's one of those players where when he gets the puck coming out of his zone through the neutral zone and he has some time and space, you sort of, uh, you know, get up on the edge of your seat and you, you really pay attention because something special could happen. I think what's really amazing when, when you go back and think about his performance on New Year's Day, it was minus 10 degrees, as we know. And, you know, we've all played sports outdoors, or most of us have when it's really cold, you know, whether it's football or baseball or hockey. You, you know, your, your hands, you, you can't feel your hands. So I think what was really amazing is that, Jordan Cairo put up those four points and, you know, I'm not sure he could even feel his hands. So that to me was such, was such amazing um, athleticism is he did it when it was so cold and it's hard to, to you know, make good passes and, and toe drag people and things like that. So, uh, you know, maybe he had a hand warmers in his gloves. I don't know. But um, that to me was what was really amazing is how cold it was and and his skill level was still at an elite level. John Kelly, we always appreciate talking to you. Thanks very much for the time, and we will see you and hear you on Friday night at Enterprise Center. Okay, Randy, Michelle, thanks for having me. Take care. That's John Kelly, voice of the blues on Bally Sports, and last night here on 101 ESPN. Coming up next, the first coach in St. Louis City SC history, Bradley Carnell joins Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. A fresh perspective on the day's biggest stories. It's Character and Smallman's Fresh Take. Brought to you by the Schnooks Rewards app. Check out Good For You, a free wellness program available in the app today. In mere moments, we are going to connect with Bradley Carnell. He is the first head coach in the history of St. Louis City SC. Here we are, Michelle, about 14 months away from the first game that St. Louis City SC will ever play. And now they have the coach in place that's going to work with Lutz, Fon, and Steele and is going to put together the franchise, the first St. Louis City FC franchise that we'll ever see. He'll be completely involved with personnel and that means dealing with the youth program that St. Louis City SC already has in scouting MLS players that they will draw from in the expansion draft and of course looking at international players too because that's going to be a huge part of what they do with Bradley Carnell and Lutz Fonensteel they have a great familiarity with international play and there will be international players that show up on the scene that will likely be the best players that St. Louis City SC has yeah and Bradley Carnell has experience as a player he has experience as a, as a coach as a manager and he has experience internationally and in the MLS too as you mentioned with the Red Bulls and I was reading up about him last night Randy and I didn't realize that Lutz had actually had a pre-existing relationship with him back in 2015 Lutz von and steel sporting director for st. Louis City SC actually taught a three-week coaching course and Bradley Carnell was part of that course and finished at the top of the class so he's been aware of him and had a relationship with him for a while obviously knows what he likes to do as a coach and was his top choice and City SC went out and made a great move and you need to have a relationship between the director of sport and the coach 
that is copacetic. And I I believe that with all the time, it's so fortunate for them to have an expansion franchise because Lutz had plenty of time to scour the, the globe, literally, mm-hmm. for the perfect guy for what he wants to do. And these two will be working in unison to build a culture. And we, we say that so much in sports, but this is literally going to be from the ground up, philosophically, schematically, a cult, and, and with their youth programs. It's going to be a culture that they have so that when they start playing, everybody will be on the exact same page. It's a holistic approach to building yes. something, right? Um, it's kind of a bummer that because of 2023 things got pushed back a year or excuse me because of the pandemic we have to wait until 2023 but it almost is an advantage for city sc because they get that additional time to build things the way that they want to build them and you're right when you talk about building a culture things like that do take time so getting lutz fondensteel in place having him identify who he wants to be the first head coach for city sc having them develop the style of play and the philosophy that they want to implement from the ground up and then going out and acquiring players that are going to be a part of that it actually works and their benefit to have that extra time. And Michelle, that's another reason that having their youth program is so valuable to St. Louis City FC because SC, when soccer has worked in St. Louis and specifically with the Steamers in the early 80s, they won with St. Louis players. And it's my belief that obviously if you win at the highest level like Atlanta did they won a championship in their second year in MLS if you win at the highest level you're going to draw players that being said there is a necessity as far as I'm concerned for St. Louis Louis City SC to have a St. Louis flavor for St. Louisans to be able to go and cheer on their guys all the better if they're young guys that are all about SC. If you're playing in the U16 program right now or the U18 program and you're playing that first year, if you have a couple of St. Louis kids that are on the pitch right off the bat, that'll make such a huge difference in terms of us cheering for our guys. We love our own. Look at David Freeze. Look at Pat Maroon. Those moments would have stood alone as great moments in St. Louis sports history, but the fact that they were our guys, that they were St. Louisans, made it that much sweeter. And when David Freeze went to play for other teams or Pat Maroon went to play for other teams, even if they hadn't had those spectacular postseason moments, we would have cheered for them because Mm -hmm. they're St. Louisans. They're our guys. And I think you're absolutely right. It's It's a unique experience in soccer that you can have players be a part of your academy you can follow their career as young players up until the fact that they actually do wear the kit for your MLS team this league is highly competitive and I know that from the top Carolyn Kindle bets Jim Cavanaugh they want to win quickly and obviously several franchises have won quickly but as the league gets more competitive year after year and there are more teams year after year it's more difficult to win so in my thought process as I attend games I'm not going to have extraordinary expectations early I'm going to be pleased if they win early but with as competitive as the league is I'm not so sure that it's an easy process and Bradley Carnell the head coach of St. Louis City SC joins us now on 101 ESPN Bradley with Michelle Smallman this is Randy Carricker thank you for joining us congratulations and welcome to St. Louis Thank you very much. Uh, yeah, no, it's been an exciting 24 hours and uh, so excited and stoked to be named uh, 
the first ever head coach of St. Louis City SC. Hey, I want to ask you, and you heard what I was saying right off the bat, and you've uh, been with uh, Red Bull, so you know how competitive this league is. When you talk about starting a new franchise, we know that you guys want to win, but it's much easier said than done when we're talking about winning early in MLS right now, right? Yeah, I think uh, there's a there's a solid plan that's been put in place over the last uh, 18 months uh, to two years. And uh, now we can start implementing that plan and building it up uh, from the ground up. And uh, we have uh, many key pillars in place. Uh, we have short-term process, mid-term process, and the long-term processes. Um, and you can see the academy is already up and running and, and highly competitive already. And then this year, the MLS Next Pro team gets set up. And, you know, we'll all play intricate part in, in those details of building that team up, uh, which serves as uh, the curtain raiser, you know, in terms of... Uh, building up the structures uh, towards the first team and the inaugural season in 2023. So there's a a few little milestones that we go along the way and accomplishments, and we can make sure that we're ticking all the boxes and and making sure. But, uh, you know, we just wanted to make sure we hit the ground running in terms of the stadium, building the infrastructure, which ultimately a style of play, which ultimately builds the success. um, And we don't want to be just trying to, buy something and, and a quick fix. Uh, this is something with a methodical plan in place um, and, and uh, you know, the execution of it and, and as well as the people I've become to know here as well as the front office and just to see the work that's been put in already. Um, it's a truly amazing uh, setup right now and I'm, I'm so excited to get to work. Well, Bradley, let's circle back to that style of play. This is our audience's first introduction to you. So what can they expect from a, a style of play perspective that you want to implement at City SC? Yeah, listen, it's a highly, uh, it's a game based uh, in transition because most of the goals, all of the goals in professional soccer um, are scored, 60% of those are scored uh, in transition, you know, so which means uh, we're very proactively hunting the ball. We're going to be positive, aggressive uh, in all phases of the play. We want to be a team who's built on the front foot um, and defending forwards. And, and it's, a, it's a term in, um, in the MLS where it's creating so much popularity now, which is this pressing and counter-pressing mechanisms to win the ball back. Um, and it's something that I've been fortunate uh, in my life to be involved with uh, since I was the age of 16 in a professional outfit in South Africa. And we've always whether it's been in my DNA flowing through my veins or whether it's been some of the coaches I've been influenced under. Um, these are mechanisms that have come naturally to me. And I think uh, I'm sitting alongside here with Lutz Feinenstiel, uh, the sporting director, and um, his addresses and his resume where he's been. Um, we've, we've certainly had overlapping uh, relationships of some of our mentors. And uh, this guides us into a style of play uh, that will build something very unique for the MLS market. Who are some of those mentors that you mentioned that influenced your philosophy and what you hope to implement here? Yeah, listen, I mean, it goes back from the early days of, of uh, you know, working with Ralph Rangnick as a player um, in 1998. I was a youngster in Germany at the time, and he was coaching in uh, VFB Stuttgart. Um, and I managed to, to work under him and played some of my most successful games under him. Now, as a coach, uh, you know, the, the, the circle goes full, full turn. And I realize now what he was trying to achieve and, and what he was trying to implement. So from a pressing style of play and a high intensity, a very aggressive style of play. Um, so now I understand that. And then I've also had uh, sort of other coaches who had a slightly different philosophy in terms of Carlos Queros, who was Portugal's national trainer, Real Madrid, Manchester United assistant coach uh, to Sir Alex Ferguson. So, yeah, there's been a couple of key individuals down the lines um, that have taken bits and pieces of uh, nuggets of information and tried to apply this to my daily runnings 
uh, of the soccer team and uh, how I believe the game should be played as a coach. Bradley Carnell, the first coach in St. Louis City SC history, joining us on Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Bradley, obviously you've been made aware of the history of St. Louis soccer and the talent level here in St. Louis. How realistic is it to think that five, ten years down the road that key contributors to this franchise, I'm talking about guys that score a bunch of goals, can come from St. Louis and from the USA? Yeah, listen, I think um, you can look in the history books and there's been many an esteemed player who's gone on to a journey of a successful overseas career. Um, But there could have been a lot more, you know, and I think by um, the birth of this uh, soccer club, um, I think it just makes it so much more accessible to everybody to achieve those dreams, you know, and and that's why the academy is already set up and running um, because we want to have this active and positive reach out within the community. And, you know, um, even when my negotiations and discussions started with the ownership group, this is one of the key pillars where we felt very strongly with uh, regarding that topic. So, yeah, we want to build community engagement. We want to build players from within and we want to develop our own homegrown youngsters to achieve their dreams just as, you know, I'm a living product of that being a kid from South Africa um, trying to, to make my way and, and things weren't always achievable for me and, and accessible for me and, and I kind of filtered through the cracks somehow and, and achieved my dream but it, you know, it was a long hard road and, and I'm sure the youngsters back in, in those days here in, in St. Louis also it was never always accessible for, the, for them so yeah, we want to try and make this as realistic as possible. Bradley, I, I got to ask you this because my son requested this uh, question be asked. You worked for you were the interim head coach for and an assistant for New York Red Bull. Did did the Red Bull players and or coaches drink Red Bull before the game? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the fridges were always stocked with Red Bull, and it was the only beverage uh, besides <laughs> besides mineral water. Um, so there were those two beverages within the facility, and it, it became a keen staple diet. And listen, at certain times, uh, there were certain moments where the players could allow a little spoil with a Red Bull, uh, a can of Red Bull. But, uh, yeah, not to delve too much into that, but yeah, listen, uh, it was a matter of uh, organization. And uh, yeah, we're just uh, happy to, you now I'm happy to be part of this uh, organization at St. Louis City SC. Um, and yeah, listen, I'm grateful for the opportunities given. We might not be an energy drink city, Bradley, but we are a beer city. So you'll have a lot of beer at your disposal here in St. Louis. Hope you like beer. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can assure you a couple of the times there was also pizza and beer after a couple <laughs> of kids, you know, um, running around the Red Bull locker room. So, yeah, listen, um, yeah, we're just trying to build a successful franchise. We want to build successful individuals and we want to create leaders here within the team and, and we want to be good role models, you know. So everything else after that will fall into place naturally. Bradley Carnell, you are a history maker and now an historical figure in St. Louis as the first head coach ever of St. Louis City SC. Best of luck. I'm sure that we'll be talking to you as the, the franchise and your career here unfold. Thanks so much for your time this morning. Thank you. Super excited to be here and look forward to the future. Take care. Bradley Carnell, he is your first head coach for St. Louis City SC, joining character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Coming up, there was an MLB.com story last week about, or no, it was an ESPN story about the best and worst contracts signed in Major League Baseball over the last decade. We're going to boil it down. What are the best and worst contracts that the Cardinals have executed over the last de- decade? That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
Kerker and Smallman on 101 ESPN, the three best and worst Cardinal contracts of the last decade. And Michelle, as we were putting this together, one troubling aspect to this <laughs> is that it was a lot more difficult to choose just three bad contracts mm -hmm. than to pick three really good contracts that the Cardinals have executed over the course of the last decade. There were some rough ones, and it wasn't a cheap price tag either. No, uh-uh. Let's start with the best, and here are our candidates for the best contracts that the Cardinals have executed over the course of the last decade. December 23rd, 2011, we're going to count that. Uh, Carlos Beltran signs a two-year, $26 million free agent deal with the Cardinals. Of the group of best contracts, that's the only one that's a free agent from outside the organization. The other one, the 2012 five-year, $75 million deal signed by Yachty. In 2014, spring training, Adam Wainwright signs a five-year deal for $97.5 million. March 2nd of 2016, Wonger signs for five years and 26 and a half. 2017, April 2nd, again, right at the beginning of the season, opening day, as a matter of fact, Yachty signs for three years and $60 million. We're going to put this as a best right now because it's really difficult to judge. But in 2018, spring training, Paul DeYoung signs for six years and $26 million. Then in March 23rd of 2019, Goldie gets his five-year $130 million extension. January 29th of 2021, for the 2021 uh, season, Wayno signs for one year and $8 million. And then just a few days after that, Yachty signed for one year and $9 million. So if you are going to pick three good contracts out of those that the Cardinals have executed. Let's pick three, and let's note, by the way, that out of one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine deals of the best, one, two, three, four, five of the nine have been signed by Yadier Molina and Adam Wainwright. Well, I would... Definitely put one of those Yadier Molinas in there. You can take your pick. That's dealer's choice on there, any of those contracts. I mean, if you go to 2012, that five-year, $75 million, that's certainly one that could be in the conversation. But, Randy, I think getting Paul Goldschmidt locked down for five years, I know it's $130 million in, in that extension, but this is someone that is a cornerstone and a mm -hmm. massive foundational piece for your organization. And even though those Adam Wainwright and Yadier Molina deals, those one-year deals are great, they're going to be gone. And this is somebody that's going to be and have has been the leader of your team, but he's going, he and Nolan Arnato are the two guys moving forward. So to be able to get him locked down, I think that's a great deal. I'm, I agree that that was a great deal, but I, I believe that the Cardinals essentially have gotten what they've expected out of him. You would expect to pay that kind of money for that sort of product, that sort of production that they're getting. So I'm not going to put him in my top three. Wow. So here's, I'm going to go bottom line. They signed Beltron to that two-year deal for 12 and 13. They wound up going to an LCS, and then they wind up going to a World Series with Carlos Beltran on their team. Same thing with Yachty. Yachty was a top-five MVP guy in the midst of that five-year, $75 million deal signed on a, in 2012. Plus, that was a World Series year, 2013. So I'm going to put that one in there. And then I'm going to throw in last year's Wayne. Last year, Wayne Wright for $8 million, getting a, a guy that was top seven in Cy Young, top 20 in MVP mm -hmm. for only $8 million. It's a steal. Yeah. So as much as I love the Goldie, and Goldie might be number four for me here, by the way, I, I would take the three that I mentioned, Beltron, Yachty, which, by the way, are a long time ago, 11 and 12, and then Wayno last year. Can I zag for a second? Yeah. I think that there's some great contracts that the Cardinals didn't make. I oh, think yeah. I think the best deals that they have made are the deals that they didn't make. The Albert Pujols deal, Jason Hayward, Stanton, Price, hundreds of millions of dollars mm -hmm. that they were willing to put out there for players that would not have matched that output. And 
granted, they were lucky that those guys said no and that it didn't happen. Mm-hmm. But when I look at the best deals that the Cardinals have made over the past 10 years, I think it's the deals that they didn't make. Right. They've gotten lucky multiple times. Okay, now to the bad deals. Ty Wigginton, two years, $5 million in 2012. Free not agent. great, not great. Alan Craig, an extension, five years, $31 million, signed in 2013. Didn't really work out for them. Uh, Johnny Peralta, four years, $52 million as a free agent in 2013. In 2015, Mike Leake, five years, $80 million, and he lasted into his third season in that deal, and the Cardinals paid a lot after they traded him to Seattle. Brett Cecil, four years, $30.5 million. Yikes. Dexter Fowler, five years, $82.5. Yikes. Carlos Martinez extension, five years, $51.5 million. Yikes. Stephen Piscotti, six years, 33 and a half. Even if he doesn't have the issue with his mom tragically passing away, mm-hmm. he's not. he certainly wasn't productive for the Cardinals and hasn't been a productive player for the most part for the A's either. Luke Gregerson, only $11 million for two years, but he pitched like five games for the Cardinals. Then Andrew Miller, two years, $25 million. Michaelis, this could wind up being tough, uh, four years, $68 million. And then the MARP deal. The extension, two years, $39 million. Hard to pick only three from among that group. Well, that is true. Some of these did not work out well for the Cardinals, Randy, but there's <laughs> there's two that pop out at me, one specifically. That Brett Cecil, four years, $30.5 million. That's essentially dead money. Horrific. That's yeah. You got virtually nothing for that. $30.5 million. And this is a guy that sat in the clubhouse playing video games. Yeah. He had a video game console at his locker. Not great. Then the next one for me, Mike Leake, five years, $80 million for Mike Leake. Yeah, that's Again, really bad. I think those are my top two. What about you? I, I'm with you on those two, and then I'm going to throw in my third, a guy that we really like, but you have to be honest about it. The Matt Carpenter, two-year, 30, $39 million. The Cardinals got virtually nothing out of those last two years of Matt Carpenter here in St. Louis. Oh, another one that might surprise you because you certainly did get something out of him that I find to be disappointing, though, is Carlos Martinez, five years, $51.5 million. Yes, he did show up in patches for the Cardinals, but I think based on my expectations of what Carlos should have been, that's why it's so disappointing for me. I agree. He had two good years and then three really bad years, and I agree with you 100% there. And another one that we need to be really wary of is the Miles Michaelis deal. And hopefully he's able to stay healthy in 2022 and beyond. But in the first two years of his deal, Michelle, four years, 68 million, he has pitched two years of that contract. And in that time, the Cardinals have received from him a grand total of nine starts. Nine. Nine whole starts. Didn't pitch at all in 2020 and then started nine games. So for the first two years of four years and 68 million, they've gotten nine starts out of them. Really not worth it. I wish I could get a deal like that. That's what we're all looking for, isn't it? Just one. Just get us one One bad deal. One deal like that. So those are our best and worst for the Cardinals over the course of the last decade. Next up, um, 101 ESPN, Adam Rittenberg, ESPN.com, talking some college football with Carriker and Smallman. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Opinions matter. Time now for today's big thing with Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Here comes the blitz. Down the middle and on the fly. Jamison Williams, extra speed on the gas and gone. Touchdown. 
Jameson Williams from Cardinal Ritter playing in the national championship game on Monday night for Alabama against Georgia. Michelle Smallman, Randy Carricker, we head to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line, and one of the most knowledgeable and most entertaining college football writers in America is Adam Rittenberg of ESPN.com. You uh, see him and hear him all over the platforms of ESPN. Great to have you with us, Adam. Thanks for your time this morning. How are you doing? Uh, good morning. I haven't been called entertaining too often, so I appreciate that. But uh, <laughs> Happy New Year, and uh, great to be on with you guys. Well, Adam, I wanted to ask you about the rumors surrounding Jim Harbaugh. A lot of people are saying that he might be tempted to leave Michigan for the NFL. Do you think that that would be a move Jim Harbaugh should and would make? Well, I, you know, in, in some ways I don't think he should because they uh, they finally have won the Big Ten and they beat Ohio State. And, you know, Jim, after that game, you talked about it being kind of the beginning of something new. And so you, you almost want to see what he could do going forward and, and building this program from a place of strength rather than, always from playing uh, playing from behind with Ohio State. Uh, but, you know, he's you know, 58 years old. He's had success in the NFL. In, in some ways, I think the NFL game you know, really suits him and, and what he does well. Um, and, you know, I think depending on the, the jobs that are open this year, uh, you know, you, you, could cer- you could certainly see there, there being some interest. Um, you know, maybe Michigan will put together a package for, for Jim, who, who, who took a revised contract after last season, a contract that would have been easier for Michigan to fire him if things didn't go well this year. Um, so he, he's due a, a different type of contract. And, and what that is might be compelling enough for him to stay in Ann Arbor. But I also think a job like the Raiders is interesting. If that job, you know, they do do a full coaching search after the season. And I know they're still in the picture for the playoffs, so that's not a guarantee. But if the Raiders is open, you know, that's where he started his coaching career. I, I do believe he and his wife I, at some point would like to get back uh, to the West Coast, where they had spent their entire lives together until he took the Michigan job. Uh, you know, so some of these other jobs you're here in Chicago. He, he's going to get mentioned because um, you know because he played quarterback here for the Bears. But I, I really think the Raiders is the job to watch for Harbaugh. If it's not that one, I think there's a a pretty good chance he's back at Michigan. Well, if he does return to the NFL, who do you think Michigan would circle as their top prospect to replace Harbaugh? Yeah, I mean, I think Michigan. You know, even though it would be so late in the in the cycle you know, would have some interesting candidate options. Um, I think internally, you know, you look at Josh Gaddis, the offensive coordinator, he, he won the Broyles Award as the nation's top assistant coach, younger guy, but, um, you know, will be a head coach in the near future, in my view. And then there's also Mike Hart, who's the former uh, Michigan uh, all-time leading rusher uh, for, for that school, who came back as a assistant head coach. Um, he's only, you know, been back at Michigan for a year or so, but uh, I think he's somebody – they may look at internally and then externally. I think, you know, Matt Campbell's name will likely come up at Iowa state. Uh, He didn't get one of those other jobs that was open or didn't have interest in those other jobs, I should say. Uh, And then you look at Luke fickle at Cincinnati. Um, You know, I still think it would be difficult (laughs) knowing Luke for him to coach the university of Michigan, uh, given his background as a Buckeye. And then, you know, another name that I'd heard last year um, that I think, you know, could, could get a little bit of traction is Bill O'Brien, the Alabama offensive coordinator, former head coach at Penn State and at uh, with the Texans in the NFL. Just his, his quarterback background, you know, he, he, he's, a, he's a Brown graduate. You know, he, he, he's been at schools that are, you know, academically oriented like, like Michigan are, so, like Michigan is. So I, I think they'd have a pretty good candidate list if they, if they do have to do a search. ESPN's Adam Rittenberg with us on 101 ESPN. And, Adam, you have a great piece up at ESPN.com in which you talked to a lot of coaches from the SEC and analyzed Monday night's championship game between Alabama and 
uh, Georgia. And it struck me that if, if Georgia wins, it's probably going to be because of their defense, which is not something that we have seen recently in this day and age, even from the, the really good Alabama teams. Everybody has gone so offense in building their teams. You don't see many teams that dominate with defense anymore. No, you don't. But if they do win with their defense, they're going to have to be a lot better than they were in the SEC championship game, especially in terms of getting to Alabama quarterback Bryce Young, who really lit them up for more than 400 passing yards, uh, which is such a stunning total after watching what Georgia had done all season. So, you know, that front seven of Georgia, which, you know, coaches have told me they, they really can't remember a group that's that deep and that talented. Um, they're going to have to do some different things to to try to pressure the pocket and to try to get Bryce Young uh, not comfortable back there where he's able to attack downfield like he did about a month ago. And so I think the, the game plan from Kirby Smart and Dan Lanning, the defensive coordinator who's who's now the, uh, the new Oregon head coach, is going to be uh, interesting. And coaches I talked to expect a, a much more aggressive, uh, nuanced game plan this time around versus what we saw in the SEC title game. But that's an outstanding crew, guys. I mean, you know, there, there are star, uh, non-starters for Georgia that would pretty much start anywhere else in the country. They just can't start there because the guys ahead of them are, are even better. And it seems to me like Lanning needs to find a way to get his defensive tackles pressure up the middle. And Davis and Carter, we know, can do it, but they didn't get that pressure up the middle against Young in the SEC championship game. Yeah, it was one thing I was talking with coaches about, you know, where, where does the pressure need to come from? Is it necessarily the, 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 out, the outside? And you know, some coaches said you can get to Alabama um, if, if you go after their tackles. Others said it really needs to come up the middle. And, and, and certainly Jordan Davis and, and, and Carter are, are guys that um, you have that capability uh, against an Alabama interior line, which is, which is solid. But, you know, this is not one of the elite Alabama offensive lines. They had a lot of problems. Um, at times this season. Now they are playing better uh, the last two games, and they ran the ball uh, really, really well, a, a season-high 301 rushing yards against Cincinnati. So that's another factor here. No one's really run it uh, consistently against Georgia, although Alabama had some decent numbers in the SEC title game. And so, uh, But I think, the, yeah, the, the strength of the, the Georgia interior line uh, with their depth and their talent, you know, that has to show up for them to win this game. Adam, the powers that be in college football meeting in Indy to discuss the state of college football and examine the playoff. A lot of discussion about expanding the playoff. Do you think that we're on the edge of that? Do you think that that's something we're going to see soon? Oh, I hope so. I, I don't. I'm not optimistic. Um, just because the, the positions that the you know two groups are in seem fairly firm as far as uh, you know. You have a group that largely put together the proposal that came out in June that um, doesn't want to budge. Uh, they believe that's the best proposal, and they believe everybody should just accept it. And then you have uh, another group, which is fighting especially for automatic qualifiers, uh, the Power Five group, you know, want, you know, Pac-12, Big Ten, ACC, the Alliance really wants to ensure that their champions are going to be part of the playoff every year. And there's some other issues as well to work out. It just didn't sound like they were that close about a month ago. Um, and I just don't know what, what's really changed since then. So um, if there's no real action, guys, at this meeting in Indianapolis, then we're looking at 2025 as the absolute earliest this could expand. And, or it could just be, you know, the next contract, which is completely could be completely different. I mean, that, that's the thing about the CFP. Once this contract is done, 
you can go back to square one and, and organize it in, in very different ways. So, um, you know, that, 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 that's, I think, why that proposal, uh, those behind that proposal that came out were so eager to get it adopted because that would sort of be the playoff most likely going forward. Whereas others are saying, especially some of the new commissioners, whoa, 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 let's look at this thing holistically. Maybe we should just start over again and uh, create a system that, you know, is going to serve our interests as well as, uh, as well as everybody else's. But, but instead of just adopting what, what they put out there in June. Finally, Adam, we would be remiss if we didn't ask you about the trajectory of Eli Drinkwitz's Mizzou program. Your colleagues at ESPN.com, Craig Hobart and Tom Luganbill, regarded Mizzou recruit Luther Burden, the wide receiver, as the second most impactful player in the Under Armour All-America game, the fourth-rated class in the SEC, number 10 overall by ESPN.com. What do you think of where Mizzou is headed? Yeah, I, I, you know, I think the recruiting is encouraging, right? Um, I, I think, it, it, you know, Eli's always going to have good offenses. He, he's a really talented play caller. And I think their approach to recruiting has been, uh, has been solid. Now the next step is to, uh, is to build that into a more consistent winner. I think one model for Missouri that right at this point, uh, with, with some of their recent success, is Kentucky, uh, a program that you know nobody really you know, thought about as a football school uh, until some of their recent success. They've won ten games in two of the last four seasons, I believe. Uh, really impressive year this year, and, and a lot of that's because of the recruiting that was built up over time. And that's not a you know I think Missouri will have the edge offensively over time because of uh, Eli's background, but I think in other elements, Kentucky's a really good model for for where Mizzou can can go and, and where they've been. Uh, early in their SEC tenure under Gary Pinkle. So, um, you know, encouraged by the recruiting, I think the team trajectory, it's a little bit harder to see where it's going because uh, it was kind of a steady, steady one this year rather than way up or way down. Adam Rittenberg, we appreciate your knowledge, and uh, we always love your work at ESPN.com, and we really do appreciate you taking some time with us this morning. Enjoy the week and enjoy the championship game. Okay, I appreciate you guys having me on. Thanks. Thank you. That is Adam Rittenberg, ESPN.com. David Perron with his weekly visit, Talking Blues, next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. He gets the job done on the ice every night. Perron, he tucked it in like you put the David Perron, and he joins Carriker and Smallman right now. Perron, he scores! On 101 ESPN, driven by Pure Performance, the only stop for all your aftermarket vehicle needs. Uh-huh. He scores! Out of the corner, David Perron gets it to the front of the net, and it goes in off Talbot, and the Blues have taken a 1-0 lead. David Braun joins us now on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Michelle Smallman, Randy Carricker. It is great to have you with us. Good morning, Mr. Perron. How are you doing? I'm doing good. How about you? Everything's terrific. Hey, I want to start with this, with all of you guys coming back essentially within the space of a week from different injuries. Chemistry is so elusive sometimes in hockey. Has it been easy for you guys because you've spent so much time together to reestablish chemistry quickly, or is that a process rather than an event? Uh, well, it's pretty, uh, like you said, it's unpredictable. Um, at times you can get it right away, and then at times you don't. I think obviously playing teams like we did yesterday, we, uh, we didn't feel like we played a great game. 
Um, it was there for us to win, but uh, at the same time, I don't think we fully deserved it. Um, you just have so many guys. So we're so deep. Uh, a lot of guys wanting uh, to have like roll to to kind of score that big goal, uh, get on the ice quite often, all that stuff. And uh, it's not always easy um, to uh, to manage all that. I'm sure for not only the coaches but everyone, you gotta kind of keep your ego in check. Uh, leave that uh, at the door when you get on the ice, and uh, and kind of understand that. There's going to be more than one line that might do a job on a given night. And um, I think other than that, uh, I think we've done a good job. Obviously, guys have, uh, have really played some good hockey. And yesterday was one of our first games that we weren't happy with uh, in a long while, basically. For those that were watching, when you say we didn't fully deserve it, can you explain why? Uh, well, I just thought that they outplayed us. Uh, as a player, you kind of know you get the feeling in the game. I thought the first period we didn't move our our feet enough to uh, sustain pressure in the, in the offensive zone and and stop what Pittsburgh is trying to do. They're really good on the move. They they break the puck uh, really good, uh, break break it out of their zone really good. And uh, I, I I just kind of had the same feeling uh, coming into the second. I, I know we had the lead at that point. Uh, some some great individual effort. Uh, to, to score some goals, but uh, again, I, I just thought that overall uh, they were a little bit more engaged, they were a little bit more on top of us, uh, and uh, they showed in the third, and they got the win. Well, David, one game that your team certainly deserved to win was the Winter Classic, a great victory over Minnesota. And first things first, you know we have to ask you about the beachwear. I know that there was a conversation amongst the team, should we go flannels or should we do something else? Which camp were you in on that debate? Um, I wasn't sure at all how the reaction would be. Um, I, I wasn't sure that wearing swimsuit to uh, minus uh, whatever Fahrenheit it was. Uh, I know what it is in Celsius because that's why I go off of. I, I was I was more on the other side, I think. Uh, but definitely it was uh, kind of a team vote involved in this a uh, couple days before. And then once, I, I think what once a group decided on something, it was very tight. But once we decided on something, we all were on board. And that's what was great about it. Uh, I, I think all the guys really had some fun with this. And it's something that we didn't plan that much, like uh, I think, as you know now. But uh, it's not like we've been talking about this for two months. So uh, all in all, I think it was great. A lot of people loved it. And uh, that's what matters. It makes uh, people talk about the game and uh, grows our game a little bit more. I loved everyone's different take on beachwear. I thought the towel was a nice touch from you. You had Marco Scandella with the cooler. Jordan Bennington had the Versace on. But who did you think was the best dress out of your teammates? Oh, it's a, I didn't see everyone because uh, there was two buses to the game. Uh, I guess I can only speak for, for ours. Um, I, again, I, I just thought, like you said, Marco Scandella with the cooler was a, a pretty good touch. And uh, you know Benner is a... Uh, he wants to be a little bit sometimes when it comes to, to that stuff. He wants to make kind of like statements like that. Uh, so I, th- I thought he did a good job himself as well. If you were going to go on a beach week vacation with any of your teammates, who do you think would be the most fun? <laughs> well, we go to Vegas uh, at the end of the year sometimes. <laughs> I think we have a good group. <laughs> I don't know if there's anyone that stands out, but uh, yeah, we have a lot of fun there. And uh I, I don't know if I if I can pick one single guy. I, I, again, I think 
if I'm going to pick one because you put me on the spot, Tyler Bozak, the guy that's always got that, that funny energy to him. He's always ready to have some fun. Um, so he's, he's definitely a, a guy that you want part of the group. He steers it up, uh, whatever, if anything ever happens, he steers it up in front of everyone, makes, makes everyone uh, become tighter, and uh, he's great. David, can you tell us what it's like with Washington coming to town? The last two full-season champions, the Capitals and the St. Louis Blues, T.J. Oshie, who was a longtime teammate of yours, do you kind of look forward to a, a game and a challenge like Washington presents on Friday night? Yeah, no, definitely. I think it's another good test. I think for uh, hopefully this game's just a fluke last night that we weren't happy with. Kind of a little bit of the emotions, all the whole uh, – event with winter classic maybe there was a small letdown by us so it's just another game to to show that uh, the last uh, month uh, two months has really been uh, just uh, solid hockey and we get right back at it uh, that's what we'll definitely look forward to to do tomorrow and it was three years ago right now that you guys really started getting hot and made the the run to the stanley cup can you compare and if there is a contrast contrast just what you think of this team's capability, knowing what it takes to win. Uh, well, you, you t- kind of touched on it. Like I, I, we were so deep, like uh, or I touched on earlier in the conversation. We were so deep that year too, and I think once guys settled in their role and, and just understood what they was required of them to to uh, for us to have success, uh, we just kind of took uh, one or two level, and then we just stuck with it the whole year. Uh, much of it had to do with the, the Barbashev, Steen, and, and Sunquist line, in my opinion, because it really solidified our lineup to, uh, at the bottom of it, and they were solid for us the rest of the way. So, yeah, I mean, I do see a lot of good things. I, I see uh, Mikola uh, playing with uh, Pareko. I think he's done a solid job trying to shut down the top uh, players uh, on the opposition. And, again, like I know Crosby had a good, good night last night. It's not going to happen every night. But uh, all in all, he's done a great job. So definitely, I think we, we see pieces that we like. And uh, we know we're a contending team. And we want to keep pushing to, to find more levels as we go in, uh, into deeper in the season. I know that uh, Sidney Crosby, you, you can turn him on with an incident like that. But I'm not going to sit here uh, a couple of times a week, David, and say, we need a nasty defenseman. I, I want Nico Mikola to be nasty. And then when he yeah. does it, I'm, I'm not going to complain about it. I, absolutely. Oh, and, and it's funny. I played with Sid. I played in Pittsburgh, and when I saw that scrum happen, I, I, in my head, I was like, "Oh gosh, I know exactly what he's doing right now." He was probably not happy with the start of the, the the game or his team start, or maybe there wasn't enough spark that he felt. And I've seen him do multiple times. It brings the emotion out of him. Uh, a lot of times, uh, he, he's pushing the envelope where he he knows his status. He knows like. He's been the best player in the world for a long time, and maybe now McDavid's taken over, but he knows the refs are going to kind of keep a closer eye on that. They ended up getting all their power plays with, I don't really want to get involved in this because I didn't agree with a lot of the calls, but it, it does seem like when a superstar like this makes those those type of decisions, it, it kind of, uh, I don't know, they end up getting calls after, and I think it's a smart play on him, but like you said, even having said that, all that, we want Miko to, to play that way, to, to get nasty, to be uh, really tough to play against. And even us in pra- practice playing against him, it's not easy. So uh, I think he's done a great job, and uh, I, don't, I don't think it was necessarily a bad, a bad idea to do what he did uh, last game. 
Well, David, a guy that's turning into a superstar in front of our eyes is Jordan Cairo, a historic performance in the Winter Classic. He was the NHL's first star of the week. He gets another one last night. You see him every day, so you're aware of what he's capable of. But for even you, are there times when you see him out on the ice where you and your teammates are like, wow, this kid's pretty good? Well, I've been talking about him. I think even on, on your show early in the year that he's our Connor McDavid, in my opinion. He's uh, he's a guy that uh, not much can happen in a game, and all of a sudden he that's really what happened yesterday. Nice move by Vladdy, but great shot by Jordan. Um, I, I think for us as older guys, uh, we, we want to keep pushing him in the right direction, keep having him understand how important it is to stay even keeled and, and not get too high on himself, all that stuff. But I think he's done a good job. He works so hard. He's he's a passionate player. He's, uh, he's a guy that he's fun to be around as well. And uh, I think we're all the guys in the room are happy for him. We want to, we want him to keep going. David Perron, it is January 6th, and you don't have another road game until January 21st. So enjoy the time here at home with the family and get a couple of wins, and we'll talk to you next week. Yeah, it'll be great. Thanks a lot. Sounds good. Uh, talk to you next week. Take care. That is Bye. our friend David Perron on 101 ESPN. He's great, isn't he? Of course. Love talking to David Perron yeah. every week. Glad he's back. We When he was out, we didn't get to speak to him, and no. it's great for him to give insight into things like that, like what happened last night with Mikla and Sidney Crosby. And we, and I hope you tuned in, appreciate the honesty because there's a lot of vanilla out there and David Braun is not vanilla. He's he's telling it like it is. Isn't it interesting that you and I talked earlier in the show that as soon as we saw Sidney Crosby bleeding, we went, uh-oh, and yep. David Perron on the ice is saying, uh-oh, too. <laughs> the, the, play, the opposition is also saying this is a problem. <laughs> That's David Perron on 101 ESPN. It's coming up on 930. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Your Killing Me Smalls is next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. What's totally killing Smalls right now? You're killing me, Smalls. You're killing me, Smalls, with Michelle Smallman on 101 ESPN. One quick note before we get to your killing me smalls, our friend Dave Matter at stltoday.com and the St. Louis Post-Dispatch confirming that former DeSmet defensive tackle Makai Wingo has entered the transfer portal and plans to leave Mizzou. Wingo last year played in uh, all but one game, started for him, was named to the SEC All-Freshman team. Michelle, one of the reasons I believe this is interesting is because Wingo's head coach at DeSmet was Robert Steeples. He went to the Vikings as their assistant special teams coach this year and last week was hired by Brian Kelly to be on his defensive staff. If I'm connecting the dots here, I'm suggesting that Makai Wingo might be on his way to LSU. And oh, by the way, the top two recruits out of St. Louis for 2023 are both DeSmet guys that Robert Steeples coached. So my guess is, is that LSU is going to make some inroads here in the St. Louis area with DeSmet. And Makai Wingo, I, I don't know if, DeS, if LSU is on his list even. But I'm just connecting the dots and suggesting that that might be a spot for him. I would think those would be smart dots to connect. We'll see what happens. But, gosh, just transfer portal. It's like you can't keep up every day. It's like the list of names is longer than a CVS receipt. It's unbelievable. This is the eighth player. 
from Mizzou to enter the transfer portal. It's crazy. And, you know, you, you bring in a Luther Burden, you lose a good player. It's like a constant yeah. ebb and flow if you're a team of recruiting and then having to keep the, the players you have in-house happy so that they don't enter the transfer portal. I'd, I'd be recruiting the daylights out of the transfer portal. If I were, look at the success that uh, Mel Tucker had at Michigan State, and he—I think he's got six of the top forty transfers already this year. Wow! That's how Michigan State's building their team. Time for you're killing me, Smalls. We love the Manning cast here on Carriker and Smallman. It's one of the best things to come up on the media scene in years. So naturally, you know that networks are going to try to replicate that. Well, ESPN is considering a Manning cast type show for baseball. And who do you think is going to be the star that they're going to try to build around? You need to have somebody with a great personality. It can't be A-Rod. It is, in fact, A-Rod. ESPN is considering a Manning cast-type show for their Sunday night baseball coverage with Alex Rodriguez as the centerpiece. No, I I, I don't like it. Now, here's what you do. (laughs) No, period. Yeah. Yeah. I know that... uh, we, as a show, we don't like Chris Rose. He's kind of a jerk. Sorry. Yeah, you, you and Chris Rose uh, had uh, a tense conversation on this show once. Too, yeah, yeah. It's a little tense. I'm not going to lie. I but felt the, awkward. That being said, I think one of the best shows in recent times on TV was Intentional Talk with Chris Rose and Kevin Millar. Get those two to do a baseball show similar to the Manning cast, and you've got something. That's true, but A-Rod is the biggest star that they have in-house. But A-Rod's not funny. You need to have funny if you're going to do a show like that. Millar, and, Peyton and Eli are funny. Millar and Rose were, were funny together. Has Alex Rodriguez ever made you laugh? Uh, Just out, out of things that are ridiculous. When he got like, suspended. Like, I laughed knowing that he had a centaur painting of himself yeah, over that his bed. That made me laugh because yeah, right. it's weird as hell. Yeah, so let's do it this way. Has anything A-Rod has ever said made you laugh? No. Okay, there you no. go. No, not, not in recent memory, no. Do you agree with me that if you're going to have a scenario like that unfolding, where you're going to have a Manning cast type situation, it's got to be light and fun. I don't see A-Rod as light and fun. He wants to be. He's trying yeah. to be. His, his new brand image is light and fun. But I think it's really difficult because Peyton Manning and Eli Manning, the star power combined of those two in the NFL is astronomical. What two baseball players could you get in that same scenario that equal that star power, that could get the guests that are going to equal the star power like the Mannings did, but also have the technical broadcast abilities to talk about what's going on and break it down while being hilarious at the same time? It's a very interesting and unique cocktail that you have to find, which is why I think it's silly for people to try to replicate this because I don't think it's going to turn out the same. Okay, Michelle, I'm going to play... ESPN exec here, okay? I'm going to go hard after Adam Wainwright and Big Poppy. Why Poppy? Because he's funny, he's engaging, everybody in baseball loves him. He Not everybody. Has, well, I don't love him. Okay, he has he has I the ability, everybody in baseball. I didn't forget, just okay. saying. But he'll, he'll get guests. He's, he's just got a great personality. Adam Wainwright is an awesome call. Obviously, we speak to him every week during Mm -hmm. the season, and he is funny. He's engaging. He has the relationships. He is so thoughtful with his answers. He's truthful with his Mm -hmm. answers. And as we've seen in the booth, he's an incredible analyst. He can break down what's happening. He understands the TV game, how to get in and get out, stick the landing. I think he would be a great pick. So you need another personality that Michelle likes. 
What about AJ Pruszynski? They already do games together on Fox. That's true. That's That's one everybody knows. Yeah, that's a good call. I'm trying to think if there's anybody else. You know, it would be, I know he's not the pick because he's already got his role in baseball, but to get a Peyton or an Eli Manning, the only person that I can really think of that matches that star power is Derek Jeter. And again, he, he, number one, he's in charge of a team. Right, exactly. But he's not two, the pick. But he's not fun. But from a star power perspective, right. he is the Peyton Manning of baseball, at yeah. least in, a, in the modern era. And I don't think that you can do, I, I don't think that's, you can replicate that to have two guys that actually have personalities. Michelle, I was thinking about this. When we watch ESPN every day, it's up here on our wall every single day. Right now, you've got Damian Woody and... Dan Orlovsky. Yes. Is there a single superstar analyst at ESPN, a, a guy that was a football superstar that's an analyst? Now, they they used to have Emmett Smith and Jerry Rice and Michael Irvin. I don't think there's even a single star player that on Monday through Friday appears on ESPN as an analyst. Um, I was going to say Steve Young, but he's not on Monday through Friday. Right, just Monday night. Um, and, and, yeah, the Sunday show I is I mean, they different. have champions, but you're right. They have Super Bowl champions who, because of their platform at ESPN, have been given yeah. an incredible amount of star power. Yeah, and, and I have to believe that's what they're looking at, is people that are, are good talkers and have good takes rather than the star. Because, I mean, it, it doesn't do you any good to have Emmett Smith coming on saying, oh, we got blowed out. It just doesn't work. And, and Jerry Rice, great player, but really dry. The bus, Jerome Bettis, great personality, but just, just didn't do it in TV. I think you have to really have guys that, uh, for, for a show like that, and that's one thing Peyton and Eli have. They even, they have takes. They do. And if you're going to do this for baseball, you need guys that can talk. Yeah. Because with baseball, there's a lot of time that you're going to have to fill with those guests. It's not the same as the NFL where it's play, snap, breathe, then we talk. You know what I mean? It's going to be somebody that's going to have to be really chatty. But don't you think that's also another problem that we can't even think of someone in baseball that has a personality? It's a it's a huge problem with in baseball. That yeah. star power. Yeah. But that's I think that's on baseball. They've done a terrible job of marketing their stars. I think they're trying to do a better job. But I've said this all the time. If we printed out photos, just face photos of the top ten stars in the NFL, the NBA, and Major League Baseball, and we went over to Schnooks and we asked ten random people in St. Louis, the best baseball market in America, I think that they could name ten NBA stars and ten NFL stars a lot quicker yeah. than they could name ten uh, ten baseball stars. You're a hundred percent correct, Michelle. And one of the other problems that you have is that when we talk about that, you do want to tune in to say, oh, what's Peyton have to say? Yes. Not, not even Eli as much, but what, what's Peyton Manning have to say? I don't think there is a baseball player, not one, where nationally, where a, a viewer in Butte, Montana is going to say, hmm, I wonder what X has to say about baseball as he does a, a, a faux Manning cast. Is, I, is there one? I think Adam Wainwright has the capability to be that guy i really do he checks every single box but the thing is with peyton he's doing a million commercials that's true we saw him on sunday night for years saying thanks michelle michelle tafoya yeah but he would have said thanks to you he definitely would we just everybody in america knows who peyton manning is because of what baseball is do you think 25 percent of the people in america know who adam wainwright is and we love him here no 
25% of America? No. No. He he was telling us a story, uh, Adam was, about how he was at a tailgate in Green Bay. Yes. And nobody knew who he was until somebody walked by with a brewer's jacket on. He was at a tailgate where a bunch of people he was tailgating with didn't know who he was. And then somebody with a brewer's jacket walks by and says, I hate you or something like yeah, that. Yeah, you've ruined my life. Yeah. <laughs> And then that's how the people at the tailgate figured out who he was. Could Peyton Manning go to any sporting event in America and not be recognized no, immediately? No. Right. Which is why I think that this idea, in theory, could be good for baseball. Because if there's a reason for people to tune into baseball, if they're mm-hmm. like, I'm not really interested in the Padres-Angels game. However, I do want to watch the baseball version of the Manning cast, whatever it's called, the A-Rod cast. Maybe I'll tune in and watch it. I understand why if you're a network or if you're Major League Baseball, you're thinking, if we could try to replicate this and get more eyes on our game in any way, shape, or form, it's a win for us. I just don't know if they have the right stars to build around. Here's the thing, Michelle. I just thought of this. Just change philosophically. Keep Vascursion. Keep it be Vascursion and A-Rod at a desk. And then have guests during the course of the show. Vaskersian's a really good interviewer. He does a great job at MLB Network. And all the players know him. So just keep those two together. And rather than have them calling the game, just have them have a discussion and surround it with guests. Do you think the average fan, sports fan, who is not interested in Padres Angels is going to say, I care what Matt Vaskersian and A-Rod are going to say? No, but that's why you have... Our guests tonight include and that's Derek no disrespect Jeter. to them. Yeah. You know, obviously right. they're talented, but I just think that the hook is Peyton Manning. Yeah. The hook is not I'm tuning in to see Snoop Dogg and Roger Goodell. The hook is Peyton Manning. But in the baseball situation, the stars would have to be the stars. People that from outside of baseball get Eddie Vedder on there. Get uh John Hamm on there. Get people that aren't in baseball and get stars to be stars. It'll be interesting to see what they do, especially if A-Rod is the centerpiece of this. Thanks, Michelle. You're welcome. That's Michelle. I'm Randy, and that's You're Killing Me, Smalls, on 101 ESPN. Coming up, there's a lot going on in sports surrounding Antonio Brown still, and the story continues to get even more confusing. That's next on 101 ESPN. absolute bum. He doesn't know me. I don't know who he is. No one knew who he was probably until yesterday's comments, but I mean to, and I listened to the comments, but to say he had his mind made up in the summertime, in the off season that, you know, I had zero chance of winning the BP, in my opinion should exclude, you know, future, future votes. Um, you know, his problem isn't with me being a bad guy or the biggest jerk in the league. He didn't know me. He didn't know me. He doesn't know anything about me. That is Aaron Rodgers, quarterback of the Packers, responding to comments from Hub Arkish, publisher of Pro Football Weekly, a couple of days ago, in which on 670, the score in Chicago, he said that he wouldn't vote for Aaron Rodgers for MVP because he's the worst guy in the league. And not on the field. He said he might be the MVP on the field, but I will not vote for him. Here's the actual quote, the exact quote, I should say. I don't think you can be the biggest jerk in the league and punish your team and your organization and your fan base the way he did and be the most valuable player. Has he been the most valuable on the field? Yeah, you can make that argument. But I don't think he is clearly that much more valuable than Jonathan Taylor or Cooper Cup or maybe even Tom 
Brady. So from where I sit, the rest of it is why he's not going to be my choice. Do I think he's going to win it? Probably. A lot of other voters do not approach it the way I do, but... One of the ways that we get to keep being voters is we're not allowed to say who we're voting for until the award has been announced. I'm probably pushing the envelope by saying who I'm not voting for, but we're really not supposed to reveal our votes. And then last night, Hub Arkish wrote on his website, I made a terrible mistake. It was completely my fault. There is no one else to blame, and I'm here to try and apologize. I own this, and I couldn't be more sorry. I expect some clarity on exactly what I'm apologizing for. might be relevant and welcome. There's no more respected bastion of journalism in the world than the Association Press, and from where I sit, there are few greater honors that in my business than being chosen one of the 50 members of its panel that selects the NFL's annual All-Pro teams and MVPs. It's been my privilege to be a member of that team for some time now, and Tuesday I violated a trust. So he did apologize, but that's just not something you say. It's just, where is your mind going when you say, I won't vote for player X to be an MVP because he's a jerk. I think it's one thing to say I won't vote for, and you really shouldn't even say it before your vote is revealed, but I won't vote for player X because he, I I suspect he used steroids. I believe that he cheated the game. If you want to, I don't agree with that necessarily, but if you want to take that approach, it's fine. I can't think of a scenario, Michelle, in which I would vote on a player to be an MVP or a Hall of Famer, in which I would make that vote based on what that person was as a person. A guy like Terrell Owens. I would have voted for Terrell Owens for the Hall of Fame. As much of a jerk as I think he was, his play on the field showed that he deserved to be a Hall of Famer. Regardless of what you think of Aaron Rodgers and what happened a couple of weeks ago with him missing the game, heck, even if Hub would have said... He cost his team an opportunity to win a game because he was selfish and he he could have abided, uh, abided by the protocols and gotten vaccinated and played in that game. Even if he takes that approach, I have much more respect for it than saying he's the biggest jerk in the league and so he, sh- he shouldn't be the MVP. Also, there's a lot of players in the NFL that are not good people. But this right. award is not the Walter Payton Man of the Year Award. This is not Are You a Good Dude? This is how valuable are you in, in contributing to your team's success? The only parameters that you should be con- considering are what you see in between the white lines on the field. So what did you think of Aaron Rodgers' response? I am not surprised. I would be angry about that, too. I would be angry if I had gone out there, played through injury, played through a lot of different circumstances, and that someone was going to criticize my performance or at least try to impact my legacy and have it not be about my performance. I would be just as mad as Aaron Rodgers was. I think what he said, I mean, name-calling is one thing. I don't know if I would have called somebody, a bum. somebody a bum. But, again, I can't blame him because I would be really angry, too. After LeBron's every... called a guy a bum before. Yes, he did. Le- LeBron did call someone a bum. Um, but I don't blame him for his response, and I think that Hub Argus did the right thing by apologizing. We all make mistakes. But it leads me to wonder, Randy, how many— voters, whether it's for the Hall of Fame or for MVP or whatever, actually do take personal biases into account. Maybe they're not going on 670 to score and they're announcing it to the entire world, but I bet there's a lot of people who are withholding votes from people because of personal biases about the person and not the player. You are 100% right, and there's I've been told by people that have done that, that they do that. There's no doubt about it. All right. Another edition of Character and Smallman in the Books. A great job by our producer engineer, Andrew Marsh. Thank you, sir. Yeah, I appreciate it. And, Michelle, this was fun on a Thursday. Tomorrow, it's already the last day of the week.
Last time we can say Happy New Year, so we're going to milk that. Big time. Maybe every segment and every guest tomorrow. Our thanks to Greg Amzinger and to John Kelly and to Bradley Carnell, the first coach at St. Louis City SC. Also, Adam Rittenberg and David Perron. If you missed any of it, you can hear it on our podcast at 101ESPN.com, brought to you by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Tim McKernan coming up with the balloon party next on 101ESPN. You've been listening to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. The college football playoff committee made their decision on Sunday, and as much as I loathe the idea of Ohio State losing their way into the college football playoff, I 100% agree with OSU making it in over Bama. Nick Saban citing some hypothetical point spreads to prove his point that the tie deserve a spot in the college football playoffs holds little substance when you consider Bama's best win is over Texas. No, the committee got it right. TCU had a great season with far more ranked wins than Bama and didn't deserve to lose their spot after playing a surging Kansas State in a championship game. And Ohio State, while not playing some of their best ball later in the season, was still 12-0 until they came face-to-face with my Wolverines. While the college football playoff system isn't nowhere near as good as it could be, it's better than what we had. And in a few years, it will be better for all of college football. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. Get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there. From football to basketball to soccer and esports, we've got it all at BetOnline.net. And if you love sports podcasts, you can find those at BetOnline as well. And don't forget BetOnline for the NHL, MMA, boxing, and golf. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. BetOnline, where the game starts. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.